What's up, ladies and gents? This is Basement Side. I'm Deeg. I'm here with Rel, the lead game designer of Planet Side 2. How's it going, Rel? Uh, not too bad. How you doing? Doing fine. Uh, so the lead game designer role on Planet Side 2, uh, how long have you been in that spot? You just jump right in it, huh? Um, oh, that's how I do. <laughs> uh, let's see. How long, how long has it been? Um, more than a year, certainly. Okay. Yeah, probably. And uh, tell us a little bit about time. what that means. What does the lead game designer do? Uh, so the, I guess I guess it probably depends team to team, but what I do um, as, as lead game designer, it's holding the vision of the game. Um, it is actually doing the the work and like creating the uh, the goals and objectives that we're trying to hit with you know certain updates and uh, and that sort of thing. And then like any designer uh, on the team, all of us. Uh, we're creating the actual designs to implement uh, whatever change and you know, features and that sort of thing we want to want to see in the game. Uh, I do also like you know help with. Uh, I guess it's it's not art direction per se, but because uh, because Alan Lapidus, Alan Lapidus is the uh, the uh, uh, lead artist. Um, but just to, it's kind of like you know giving my two cents on you know how like what, what my vision looks like and then the artist can take and say like okay you know just like this and like this and we we just work closely together um, and kind of do that with all the departments or at least all the the heads of the departments. So. Gotcha. Shout out to Alan. He's been uh, sharing a lot of great stuff on Twitter recently about uh, uh, some upcoming content for Planet Side. Yeah, I, yeah. Alan uh, he gets excited about stuff and it's it's really cool to see him excited about the stuff that he's working on. I, I think that's I don't want to say like a rarer thing in the games industry, but you know, sometimes you don't necessarily get to work on the stuff that you want to work on. Oh yeah. Um but for him, like yeah, like he's he gets super excited. And I, I like to see it. That's and cool. He's got right? a, a bunch of stuff that you're gonna see at some point. That's exciting. <laughs> we'll just have to wait and see what's coming up. Yeah. Um so how how important is that excitement? Because when I see Alan get excited, I think it kind of gives the community permission to get excited too. Oh yeah, yeah, totally. Like that's so when we can be happy with something um, to the point where we can share it. Uh, like we we've done a lot of stuff that we don't want to share, and we've kind of been you know doing these teasers over time. Uh, you know, we kind of feed off of the hype of the community too. Um, and uh, a lot of times, I think my my biggest uh, fear, I guess, is just letting the community down. <laughs> it's like trying to, I, I got to try to keep the hype in check sometimes because mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. there's a lot of good ideas out there. And it's like, it's not necessarily for this update. <laughs> so yeah, right. no, but we, we really enjoy it. Do you ever have to like stop yourself like in the middle of the night from being like, I just finished this great design document. I know it's going to go through. I really want to just hop on Reddit and just drop a teaser on an alt account. Do you ever have that kind of moment? I, yes. Yeah. Um, uh, and actually not, not even just like the, uh, like, you know, it's going to go through thing. I, I think it's more about like, I like this idea, but do other people like this idea? I and then see. there's something different about it coming from me opposed to coming from a community member. Because mm -hmm. I've, I've seen like a lot of stuff rehashed over the years and depending on whose mouth it comes out of and just like, like what, I, what kick the community's on at the time, you know, it's kind of, uh, they, they go through cycles. Um, it like that'll change how it's received. So yeah, yeah. Sometimes I, I think about doing that just for for fun. But in general, I think it'd be super fun to to design stuff like on stream. But then there's always the the chance that you don't like you know if we're just like doing a design document or something like that. Um, it could be really interesting and engaging for people, but it doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to go anywhere. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
Yeah. And then it can become kind of ammunition down the road. Right. If there are other disappointments. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, and that's, yeah, the internet never forgets. Yeah. And I think if anyone out there knows about that, it's you. Um, Raul, one of the main reasons I really wanted to talk to you is because as you know, being a lead game designer by itself, I think is insanely interesting just all by itself. But what a lot of people who are newer to Planetside, uh, which is, by the way, we haven't mentioned Planetside is an MMO FPS. If you haven't heard of it, it's free on Steam and PS4. Go check it out. Um, but you are not just a lead game designer. You're a lead game designer who started your Planetside career as a YouTube video creator who then got right. brought on by the company developing the game and worked your way into this role, which I think is an... Ins I'm not being... Hope I'm not being hyperbolic when I say an insanely interesting story. Yeah, yeah, I would agree from that. I mean, from the from player to developers, kind of like the the dream, you know, that uh, a lot of us have. Uh, my dream in particular has been to to make a game, just like something that I can I can call my own and something that's like like genre defining and just ambitious and and really grand. Um, and uh, even on planet side too, I've I've had a lot of agency, but I don't think that. That that's you know uh, we're not at that uh, that point, but you know maybe if there's future projects I'll be able to uh, to to accomplish my goal and then and then uh, go into the spiraling decline that uh, gold medal Olympus Olympians <laughs> do you know after they've reached the peak of their career. Um, uh. Yeah, but no, the uh, the story is uh, it it is pretty good. Like every every step that I've kind of taken is is been toward uh, this goal. Uh, in, in some way or another. Well, why don't you take us through it? Um, I know that you started making Planetside YouTube videos as far back as 2012. Um, is that where the story starts for you? What, what, what's a logical starting point to your mind? Yeah, yeah. So the um, that is probably a good uh, a good starting point. I think I was in the Navy at the time, mm -hmm. um, and I uh, was working on this uh, the side, yeah, the, the YouTube stuff. I, I I've done videos in the past, like. Warcraft or World of Warcraft, and then a Warcraft three videos and, and that sort of thing. Um, just uh, video creation in general is something that I've kind of enjoyed um, doing, and uh, and in game design like as well. Just like the little, I have journals and journals and journals and journals of just like ideas for games or just like classes inside of games and all that sort of fun stuff. And um, I think that most people probably have uh, like most people who aspire to being uh, in game design probably have something do something similar. But uh, yeah, with my channel, it was really more of a, like, I didn't go into it saying like, hey, I want to do YouTube for a living. Yeah, totally defeats the point. It's it more like, you know, I, I really like making videos. Uh, and what can I do that's like helpful? And uh, actually, my kick was was interesting, helpful and entertaining. Uh, those are kind of the three pillars mm -hmm. that I was trying to um, trying to achieve with my channel. And um, yeah, it just, uh, just kind of went up from there i mean there's a lot of people when, when the game launched um uh, i i was doing mass effect 3 multiplayer content i think mm -hmm. at the time and uh and th there wasn't really like a niche for that it doesn't seem like i, I was able to do anything that other people weren't already doing mm -hmm. but uh but planet side 2 had launched and um i was really interested in the game and it was just a lot of fun and there were a lot of content creators who were like yeah you had total biscuit you had level cap you had uh sergeant merrill a lot of big stuff. names who, who were oh, big yeah. before planet side yeah, yeah. Um, and then uh, a lot of like, you know, mid-tier channels who were kind of doing like Kool-Aid line. I used to watch all the time. Uh, STL Youngblood, he does uh, Star Citizen stuff now. Um, 
I was following them and like like I just kept going um in my little niche and you know doing my my uh, my videos and uh and eventually you know a lot of them fell off or moved to to something else and uh I think that kind of helped solidify you know what I was what I was doing or like my place as a content creator okay. um, just the consistency you know creating the stuff like obviously there was a need for it mm -hmm. uh, when it comes to uh Planisa 2 in general like new player experience is really awful yes uh, continues to be awful so uh making videos was uh that was like an angle for me it was just like tried to help new players at like every turn so uh, that was something that they were able to to kind of latch on to and uh see and that's, that's so a, yeah you were yeah. at this point you had a we're talking like maybe 2013 2014 you become established as a planet side youtuber you're the guy people go to for weapon reviews you're the guy people go yeah. to for how do I play heavy assault? How do I play infiltrator? You're doing a lot of these how-to videos and um, also some some news updates as well, some overviews of systems when they come in the game. Mm -hmm. um, all great content. You're so now take me back to 2015. This is the timeline I as I understand back it. That far. And I might <laughs> well, <laughs> I hope you remember. Uh, but late 2015, you're still making YouTube videos for Planet Side. And then in January 2016, you upload a video saying, hey, I'm working with Daybreak Games, the then studio for Planetside. Mm -hmm. What happened between making videos on YouTube in 2015 and that video? How did that relationship kind of get started? Was it, was it in 2015? I uh, think so. It was okay. your life, yeah, it, so you should correct me if well, I'm wrong. Well, see, the thing is that, like, it's all a blur <laughs> Fair enough. to me. But, um, yeah, no, I, I was originally doing contract work for for them pretty early on um how did that get so started though did they just like email you did you email them like what was it like Do you remember? Uh, let's see so uh david carey was the producer of the game um i guess you know five years ago now uh-huh uh -huh. maybe and uh and i was at uh at soe live um during a, a year at some point <laughs> Uh, and I had, I had talked to him, uh, and he mentioned to me that that there's not just one way to get into the games industry. Hmm. Uh, like a lot of people go through QA and they they kind of work their way, you know, into those roles. Right. Uh, but really, what it comes down to, and I this is totally not verbatim, um, and a lot of it is just like the message that I was getting from him, is is just like the 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 passion and the interest and the 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 willingness to like do the work. Um, and that was kind of you know where I was at with just the channel. And anybody who has run a YouTube channel, which is probably not many people in the audience or uh, just in general, I guess uh, it's actual work. Uh, believe it or not, it is. There's definitely some some clickbaity stuff that you can do, you know, to to have views and that sort of thing. And that's totally not my uh, not my kick. But um, it's like making one video is it at least uh, you know eight to twenty four hours. You know, depending on on the length of it, mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. and that's you know, make at least four week, uh, more preferably, and if they have like if you're doing substantial content within them too, like it's mm -hmm. it's hard work, um, yeah, and that was and then you don't get paid for it, not really, mm -hmm. like the money that I was making from from YouTube was not worth mentioning, um, I had a what was a your subscriber count? I think you had like less like seventy five thousand, so eighty five k not yeah. making dough oh no no no. um well yeah even then like it's it's less than you can live off of 
Mm -hmm. uh, I think the ma majority of my income was actually coming from Patreon. So that's people who, who like they, they thought that what I was doing was important in some way or, or another, and mm -hmm. they wanted to contribute to, to do that. Um, the, uh, like outside of just the, you know, the weapon reviews and the new player stuff and the and whatever else, I, I really like to do this series called uh, Thoughts on Better Gaming, Yeah, which is more, it's more like, you know, philosophical or like sociological, um, you know, depending on, on Tell the Tell me video. about that. What, what inspired those videos? Uh, that's a good question. I don't know. Uh, please do not go sub <laughs> to my Patreon. <laughs> I don't know if it's still up. It might still be up. Uh, hopefully most people have fallen off. Uh, I think I have a disclaimer on it. Um, well, you, you clearly, this was a work of passion for you. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't get the sense that you were working on YouTube videos with the hope that someone would notice you and ask you to join the team. It was kind of one thing right. going to the other, right? But yeah. the idea so, that that passion reads, I think, is evergreen. You can't. It's something you can't fake. And people recognize. I think most people recognize the amount of effort that it takes to to make a YouTube video of uh, of a really complicated game system to get footage to make it look nice, presentable, and more importantly, to be consistent with those things. Something that I've struggled with is, I mean, my content is just sitting down and talking to someone and then putting it on YouTube, and I find it hard to be regular with that. What you were doing was a lot more involved. So you're doing a great job, by the way. <laughs> well, uh, thank you. Yeah, I'm. I'm trying to parlay my experience running corporate conference calls into talking about video games. You all can let me know how it's going. <laughs> yeah, um, that's good. But yeah, so talking about getting started with then Daybreak Gaming, David Carey, you said said there's more mm -hmm. than one way in, not just not just the traditional QA route. So then, what door did that open for you? I uh, let's see. So the, the details are all kind of fuzzy. I'd have to go back through emails from years and years and years ago. But I, at one point, I was asked to interview, like, you know, fly down to, to California, and uh, which I did. And I, I met everybody there. And let's see, I, see, I can't remember if this was before the contract work or at, I think it was, no, no, it was before the contract work. Uh, so, so I went down there, did an interview, and this was after getting a message from Andy Seitz. Um, mm. I think uh, David Carey had, had split from the company at the time that they, they'd gone through whatever number of layoff uh, it was on yeah, at the time. It was a big year for the team. 20, sorry, uh, 2015 is when, is when it went from being SOE to Daybreak, right? Yeah. Is that when PS4 released as well? I think so. Someone in the chat can correct us. Yeah. Um, but that, that was kind of a, a part of the, the process too. So I, I went down and I interviewed and, uh, and got to talk to, to each individual on the team. And uh, I was kind of like fanboying because... Because as a gamer, yeah, um, I, I'd seen these people. It's so funny. I'd seen these people uh, that comment on like Reddit threads and stuff, and they'd share this or they, you know, talk about that. Or you'd see them in uh, there was like videos that that SOE did um, way back, just like doing like little cheesy uh, interview videos. And there's like the work in progress streams and uh, and everything else, you know, that kind of came along with it. And uh, and like I got to meet them right on the game that I, I love and, and doing things on. Uh, and that, yeah. I was forgot, like? forget how exciting that was. Yeah, it's um, well, you don't you don't think about it now, right? And I, I kind of um, yeah, it's kind of interesting to to think about in general. The the you that you are now would be over it because you've been in those shoes now. But looking back, yeah, I I don't necessarily know. Uh, I mean, over it's probably not like the okay okay right word. Like I, I still I still am like really excited to to meet people who work on on other projects. Not that I've you know met many. Um, but uh, 
Yeah, so maybe that's just like an inherent uh, game gamer thing, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe it's just me. Maybe it's weird. A yeah, designer being excited, being excited about meeting other designers, people who work on games. It's totally natural. Makes sense. Yeah. Anyway, so you flew down, you interviewed, mm-hmm. then what happened? Uh, I tried to convince Andy Sides not to hire me. Uh, Why would you do that? <laughs> <laughs> so basically, uh, what I told him was that, um, okay, so here's the candid stuff. So, you know, we oh. go sit down and I, I meet with everybody and uh, you know, I got some questions from Luke Sigmund and I got some questions from Kriegshauser and you know, Bishop and, and that sort of thing. And you know, I talked to, to everybody who was around and, um, and then I sit in with Andy Sides and I'm talking to him and I'm saying that, you know, I like, I don't have any experience in the games industry. Like what you guys need right now is probably a coder so you can make the game better. And like, that was, that was my concern. Um, cause, cause I really, really like this game. Oh. Uh, but, but he said that like spots for, for designers are opening up like a, when we, uh, cause we're about to ship PS4 and, and whatever else or something along those lines. Um, but I was like, uh, I, I, I told him basically that I like I absolutely had to work from Connecticut, you know, because I have a you know, family and, and everything else. And he said, like, you know, we'll see what we can do, you know, set you up and, and that sort of thing. Um, and we did, uh, but not right away. I think that there was like a long period during the PS4 launch. I don't know what was going on there at the time, but I, I got like ghosted for a few months or a couple months at the very least. Uh, and then he, uh, I get an email later. Uh, my recollection, my recollection could be faulty. There could be some missing steps or some um, some misinformation here, some fake news. But I, uh, but this is how I remember it. Okay. And uh, so I get the email, and then I, uh, I can't remember. I, I, I want to say that I went down there again. I could could be wrong about that. But either way, oh, uh, I started doing contract work for them uh, out in Connecticut, right. uh-huh. and this was a very um, it was a very interesting experience because basically, like they. They sent me a computer um, that I, it was just like a work computer and I has like, like I can connect to all our, our tool sets and that sort of thing. Um, and I uh, was, since I was just there on my own, uh, nobody's like sitting there saying like, ah, oh, this is how you do this. And this is how you do this. I was just going into design tool and like, like ripping things apart and um, like reverse engineering everything that mm-hmm. I possibly could. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was at, at one point, actually, I created a, a bunch of, uh, new vehicle stuff that uh they got in trouble for uh so i had to like i had to delete it all it was it was like new abilities for for the uh, vanguard the uh prowler and the, like the lightning and, and then the mag rider um let's see all right well people are gonna gonna hit on me for this remember i was younger um let's see uh i did empire specific abilities for for the lightning so mm-hmm. like like one was like a lockdown um for the lightning mm-hmm. uh one was you know for the turn obviously uh one was a uh, a mag burner for the for the lightning, which you know just just went forward, but it was like amazing. Um, <laughs> yeah. And then one was a was a shield, you know, just to mirror the all the the faction traits, but uh, but right. on the the smaller platform. Um, realistically, I don't know if the lightning would actually actually you know what I, I think all those abilities probably could work. Um, yeah. But and then for the like the prowler, I did uh, it was something like akin to doing uh, like hitting an e brake, like it make you go into this stealth mode, like it basically give you stealth and then it'd make your your tread slip, but intentionally. So you can kind of like 
like sneak in on, on people and it's just like it's more like an interesting idea than anything else it, it changed the, the handling character characteristics yeah yeah so imagine um imagine sledding right or just like yeah. uh, whatever oh and it killed all of your your engine audio and it killed all of your uh your particles and, and everything else so just like like you just like like would slide. like drifting yeah yeah so you can you can go <laughs> in an angle and like slide in and then like you know fire people or whatever and then you just you let off the uh space bar or whatever it was and then you could you know start going again um and actually you can move faster uh than you you could normally just like by using the terrain uh -huh. so it was it was fun uh probably doesn't make sense for that to be in the game but oh, super it sounds fun. so fun though super fun also the idea uh, that mag burning lightning is going to be burned into my head now I have to think about that one. Yeah, yeah. No, and it had like super harsh uh, thrust. So it just like you'd ramp off of things. Um, <laughs> and then the, uh, let's see, the, the Mag Rider one was, uh, uh, what was it? Yeah, I can't remember. I can't remember what the Mag Rider one was. Uh, but the Vanguard was, uh, it was like a low, low scale turbo. So basically the, the thought was like, you know, what would NC do if they wanted the Mag or their Vanguard to go faster? Oh, they'd probably just strap a big ra uh, rocket on the back, like a rocket mm -hmm. engine. Mm -hmm. um, but it was like that. And it would just like, like it would help you get up hills basically. Mm. Um, so it wasn't like, like a thrust, like the Mag like Rider. a torque boost kind of idea. Yeah. Yeah. It was like a consistent, you know, um, sort of thing. And I thought that was really cool too. Um, actually, you know what? And then I did a second one. There was. It's all coming back now. Very different. Yeah, yeah. But was, this was for the Vanguard as well. And what it did is it turned you invisible. Yeah. Turned you invisible, right? But like it did it in a way that didn't cloak you. It uh, it actually like disintegrated your chassis. So mm. all you would see was like the particle trails of this of the Vanguard like at a distance. Um, and then it'd rematerialize. You couldn't turn it on. Turn, you couldn't toggle it. Uh, but it was like it was on. And then you go and you sneak into position. And then you like, like rematerialize. Um, kind of like the the cordium veins, like when you deplete them, like they yeah. kind of you know dissolve. I yeah, can imagine. The same thing, but in, in reverse. Um, so you got in trouble yeah, for anyway. all that. <laughs> so yeah, I got, I got in trouble for that. Uh, and yeah, <laughs> it was more like <laughs> like you know, hey, don't don't do this, like unless we have something uh, specific that we want to do. But for me, it was more about making things. Like I just I love to to create. The act of creation is something that I'm really passionate about, and uh, and that's kind of um helped you know propel me through mm -hmm. through the years you know of um especially of having you know a smaller team and, and that sort of thing um, yeah i was watching your interview with uh Mukast you did a couple months ago mm -hmm. and one of the things that you said yoshi described this time and you said how important how important it was to be um you were described as being a self-motivated time and what you just described sounds like it matches up with that 100 mm -hmm. percent um you didn't make the vehicle changes because anyone told you to. You wanted to make something, and I'm sure it helped you learn the tools in a way that you wouldn't have learned it if you had just been following someone else's, you know, task oh, yeah. list, right? Yeah. Uh, Self-directed is um, usually a better way to learn learn things. I've found. Mm -hmm. So, um, this sounds to me like kind of a like a designer instinct. Do you think? Do you think that's accurate? Like, is this the inner designer coming out? Um. Yeah, but. But there's there's kind of a, a difference. Some some designers okay. just want to um they they want a checklist and then they they like do this the tasks that are asked to them. Um and then some people, you know, will, will do like like be able to take on systems and and you know call it their own. And that's that's kind of the um that, that's what you, you want. You want people who are willing to, to take some sort of agency over over the systems. Um and also just like run with it. Like, you know, if every little detail isn't thought out, they're they're like, Yeah, I have an idea that can, you know. They can fix right. this gap, and it's it's about people like you know going back in and like finding all the holes that they they probably have you know in their their design stuff too. Um, 
and then then for me it's, it's more about like um well i guess along the same lines but uh but i like to invent the stuff too so it's like like you know what what can we do to to make the game you know super cool or you know like like what weapon you know would would we want to to see in the game uh and like i i do the the task and then i i make the thing um <laughs> i mean it's I, I I'm making it sound like I'm a I'm a rogue agent, which um is I, a little bit true. I know what you're talking but, about. Uh, I actually, yeah. um, I had the pleasure of of conducting a lot of interviews for my team at work. I work at a tech job. I'm about half split between doing actual work and talking to people. And mm -hmm. one of the qualities that I scan for when I'm talking to people is agency, the ability, the 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 experience, and the ability to actually take ownership of a task. And not just do what you're asked, or, but to also bring something of yourself to the assignment and kind of propel it yourself. And that's an important quality, I think, to have. And I, I think it, it really distinguishes like a lot of people you see out there as creators on YouTube or on, or on Twitch. Um, I think generally it's probably biased towards people who have that kind of attitude where they want to be once taking agency. They want to have ownership of the process. Um, Versus, like you say, people who just kind of work want to work on a task list. Um, yeah, yeah, no, it's it's kind of um, it's almost like an entrepreneurial uh, instinct. Just the like you're you're putting yourself into into whatever sure. you you want to do. Yeah, no, it's, how important it's super that, important. How important is that quality to uh, to game design? It's it's uh it's really important. Um, I think on a bigger team, you could probably get away with uh with more people who are content to to kind of like go down the the checklist. Um, but on a, on a team that like we have, um, let's see, three, uh, I want to say three and a half designers, uh, one, uh, one designer we just, we just brought on, uh, and he's actually from QA and he's doing a great job. Um, but even that, that's like, it's not a lot of designers, uh, in the, in the scheme of things, especially for a game, you know, of this scope and of, of the scale. So the, the more that, um, I guess you're, you're willing to, to come like maybe even not come up with the the specific idea but like say like this is the idea you know what can we do to make it amazing um and uh and just like have that person kind of invest themselves in it that's extremely extremely important you know uh if it's if it's somebody that we have to you know babysit like you know show them how to do every little thing and they're not like willing to explore um you know like the potential paths to to mm -hmm. you know, get to the destination then it's 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 oftentimes like more trouble than it's worth. Mm -hmm. Try just do it yourself. That kind of right. idea. Oh yeah, no, and that's that's a really bad habit of mine. Mm. Um, I I really just want to do everything, uh, and it's I I really have I have a hard time sharing. <laughs> you told me yesterday when we we met just to kind of go over what we were going to be doing, uh, that mm -hmm. you had uh, retired because you worked all day Sunday. That was yeah. that was going on then. Uh, part of it. Um, we definitely have a deadline uh, that we want to hit with mm -hmm. this this coming update and uh to be honest we're behind uh and that's actually honestly that's why the uh, the Ooh. summer event even came get out the to phone right with. now get back to work <laughs> right <laughs> uh yeah yeah so it's i i really just like just want to do more like it's a lot of times mm -hmm. um you know there's just there's not enough or it's it's not you know done quick enough or like or we hit roadblocks like a lot of times it's just unavoidable where you you think that you know your systems can do something and then you know, you'll hit the roadblock, and then you either need to find a way around it, uh, mm -hmm. which which we often do, but sometimes you, you settle for like a, a lesser product, 
uh, or you have you know code or some other discipline, you know, take a look at the the blocks and see if they can you know resolve them on their side, uh, which then allows you to push through. But um, even the uh, so the, like the, the blockers themselves obviously slow you down, especially all the head banging that you're doing trying to figure out the problem um, before like realizing that it's something that you can't solve. Uh, and then there's things like uh, just the context switch too. You know, like having to start something new when you've kind of been in the groove working on one thing is uh, that can slow you down as, as well. Mm -hmm. So uh, the, the more that we can try to avoid that, uh, the better, obviously. A lot of that comes from uh, from good planning, which uh, we're still trying to, to figure out, especially in this, um, this uh, kind of, you know, work from home situation. I think it's a lot easier to to get everybody in the same room and then like talk to them uh, with your hands on a whiteboard uh, than it is to kind of do everything from uh, work from home. And then sure. there's a there's a, just a general awareness. You know, when you're constantly being able to to keep people up to date uh, in person, way easier to walk over to somebody's desk and say like, you know, hey, you know, can you look at this thing with me or whatever, than it is to uh, to try to you know, you know contact them online and uh, and then convey the same ideas. So. It's, it's definitely a learning process for us. Um, I think escalation was was a, was a really good update, and then every um, uh, then like then basically our, our work from home stuff really kind of kicked off. So we're still in that uh, that adaptation process. Sure, sure. Yeah, and that's a that's a good topic to go over. I definitely want to come back to that. But before we um, really really dig into the current state, I I want to go back to the story of Rel. Last we left off, we were talking about you just getting started as an independent contractor, right? That's your self-motivation to learn these tools. And then, so as an outsider, I look back at your channel. I see a video in, in January that says, hey, I'm working with the company. Here's what this means for the channel. Was it hard to keep up YouTube while you were also doing this work on the game? Uh, not initially. And then I got really rough like uh draining mm -hmm. uh, is what it comes down to like I, I would still like to make videos if i felt like i had the energy for it mm -hmm. but for me it's like you wake up and then you do all these you know try to do amazing things every day and then you go to sleep <laughs> and uh and that's not super healthy like if i was if i was burning the midnight oil uh midnight oil to try to you know get these videos and stuff done it would be very difficult and very taxing um, physically and, and kind of uh, mentally as well. And then honestly, like I, I don't know that those videos would have like the same value either. Mm -hmm. And that's something that I started to realize too. Uh, just I, I thought that it would be, you know, conceptually, I think it's a fun idea for like somebody who's developing the game to kind of like give you all the rationale between like how these things came into being and kind of what the thought process was behind it. Uh, but uh, in actuality, it's people don't take it the way they probably should take it. Mm. I think when it comes down to it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. There's the bit and you alluded to something like this earlier about how, what people know about you and your position, your status is you can't pull it apart from the message. People always see things in the context of the person who's delivering it. Mm -hmm. um, so that was a, I'm sure a really big change for you. Was it like an all at once kind of thing or did it, like it was like over time, like you said about the videos. Oh, oh no, that's something I had to learn. <laughs> like, uh, it's it's funny because I've had uh, kind of, I guess you know, I, uh, I I guess I would describe it as like a contentious relationship with the with the vocal community, like especially mm -hmm. in certain forums. Uh, Reddit being the the primary one. Um, right, where uh, I I don't like to 
to like let people walk over me. Um, mm-hmm. But I found like, you know, giving those rebuttals and um, especially in usually like a kind of a, a sassy way or like a you know, condescending or you know demeaning way in some cases, uh, like that sort of stuff would go to haunt you um, for a long period of time. And also as somebody in a position of authority, like that is something that I, I had to figure out like, yeah, maybe that's not the best thing for me to be doing. Mm. Um, but at the same time, like I was trying to, I was trying to mesh these two worlds of, um, of people being like, uh, like being the player, right. Who, um, I still believe that I'm like the game's harshest critic, uh, to this day, mm. you know, community maybe doesn't see it all, all the time, but, I. um, and then the the developer side, right? So I, I wanted to be the player, but also be the developer um, as well, and kind of like convince people, like you know, hey, I'm you know still you, know, you guys, and I still have these same concerns. But honestly, it just What's didn't up, make fellow sense kids? to do that. Yeah, yeah. right. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. That's uh, exactly. Um, but it, it really didn't make sense. So I started to to try to like distance myself, and also like you know, just just take the beatings uh, that the community was willing to dish out or whatever, and. You know, I just kind of shrug it off nowadays because, um, uh, hey, surprise, on the internet, people are kind of, you know, crappy. Uh, but it it's also just not worth, you know, fighting those those fights anymore. So uh, I, I think that if we keep, like, moving forward um, like that, that'll hopefully end up eventually being, like, kind of all the evidence that people need. Sure, sure. And one of the things that I've heard you say is that um, the way people interact with you is based much more on how well the game is doing than in what you have mm-hmm. to say. Yeah. Yeah, it's really interesting. Um, you can, so when people are in good spirits, you could, you know, honestly, you could say anything. And people would be like, yeah, yeah, we love it. <laughs> and then if the game is doing poorly and you're you're like, you're, you're putting in, like your heart and soul into this update that's, that's meant to like, you know, alleviate issues or or like, you know, bring some, some good back to the game or just like alleviate you know, concerns of the community. It's like, uh, um they'll they'll start complaining about something else uh or they'll uh best case scenarios that they say hey, why did it take you know this long to to do this and it's like okay well yeah i get it that sucked but like can we just start like move ahead <laughs> yeah but i i think that's probably a mentality that's just like it's kind of beyond people um when they're like acting you know emotionally or just you know trolley or under mm-hmm. the, the veil of anonymity that comes with you know being an internet uh individual yeah I think also too there's like a, a limited access thing like mm. um yeah yeah you know uh being out in front of the community um people people feel like you um it, it's been it's been interesting um the more i i kind of have poked back to see like uh you know who you've who you've talked to what videos that you've been on from other creators and things like that the more i realize that you are kind of uh you hang around planet side you're on twitch you're keeping tabs on things you're reading the reddit threads mm-hmm. um it's it's clear that you've changed when you decide to weigh in and how you do when you do decide to. Um, but you're still very active there. And you're one of the, um, outside of like seeing Alan, um, and and now um, we're getting these these fantastic any time of the week updates from Andy Seitz whenever anything is happening. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm convinced that guy must not sleep a lot too. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. The guy works so hard. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, it's it's clear to me. Um, but um, how important is it that that the community has access to people who are working on the game, to your mind? That uh, that's a, a good question that I, I really don't have the answer for. So, uh, so 
so uh a long long time ago um that was the name tony tony community manager can't radar x chat i can't remember why chat? can't remember his, his last name uh for some reason Someone will tell us um, continue yeah yeah uh but uh he and i did an experiment um on uh on reddit where we just oh. did not communicate for 30 days 30 days solid no post no nothing uh and we checked the engagement you know with uh with the uh people who are running running reddit and uh there was no difference between like if we engaged or if we didn't engage like people just like to talk uh granted at the time i think something that might skew the numbers is that the like there was there was network issues too there were like a, a big deal so there was probably more to talk about then but like realistically it's hard to to actually determine how much it helps versus how much it hurts uh, and especially i think if you look at other games um the the intention uh the intent to communicate is kind of all over the board mm-hmm. like you look at warframe who's like very invested in their community and they're doing all these forums and all these uh uh like they're chiming into to post and everything Weekly else streams um, giveaways all oh the yeah time. yeah and they do and a great job and like very I can't centralized impress- too mm, yep yeah no that's so much work and uh and love and effort goes into the the game and the community from them um and uh i i wish i i knew how much how much they got out of it because i think that'd be illuminating for me but then you look at other games like um actually i might be speaking out of turn but i don't think that like bungie tends to communicate uh at least near not nearly as much as uh, as warframe does and even their patch notes are really kind of like vague like they're not telling you the individual values that are changing they're just saying, like, oh, back. Those, less damage yeah yeah With yeah warframe they make it kind of feel like you're walking into their kitchen mm-hmm. while they're working on the game at the same time like they, they put a to your point a tremendous amount of effort and they have senior senior stakeholders on the game from different departments on every single week to share things um i i dare say i think that they've been burned a few times but because they've set an expectation with their community of such high access um and such high um agency that you know there's there's a story that you tell when you say come into my kitchen which implies help me make the dish and if you don't actually accept the help or the feedback, mm-hmm. uh, it's a tough thing. And, and, you know, the idea of a live services video game, like a Planetside or a Warframe or something like that, I think it's still something, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think everyone's still figuring out how the it's, heck to do absolutely. it. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Um, actually, you, you bring up a good point with uh, kind of the, uh, when you don't take people's you know, feedback into consideration, or I, I, I'm butchering your verbiage, but I... Uh, a lot of times, the feedback sucks. <laughs> like it's uh, or it doesn't make sense at the time, or like we have no plans to change that, or we are putting things into the game in a certain way now because we know what's coming in the future that we haven't like revealed to you yet. There's always like a lot of stuff that's happening in the background, and like us as game developers, like we have to think you know kind of years in advance, mm. or else like or else we're I mean, you get into the point where you're just like living from from update to update, and like that's not good. And I, I know because I've had to do that. Um, but uh, yeah, so like as far as you know, how much how much value does the, the community's you know opinion have? And also like like how do you determine it? Like how do you determine what people actually want um, versus like what's actually healthy for the game? Mm-hmm. A lot of times you'll have uh, you'll have uh, people who I mean they certainly know what they don't like. Uh, they may not know why they don't like it. Uh, and they 
most likely don't know the solutions. Um, and even solutions that seem like a good idea uh, could be like seem like a good idea because it's who they're who it's coming from or because of because uh, they're not like kind of thinking about like everything else that would actually happen, you know, surrounding it. Uh, and you see stuff like that all the time. Mm -hmm. And it's like we we are all still you know figuring it out. Like even when it comes like not to just the the long term stuff, but the short term stuff as well. You know how much community interaction you want to have and like how do you you funnel um like how do you leverage your community uh into giving you good feedback like good focused feedback on on certain things that you you want feedback on yeah yeah it's a tough one two things that you just talked about really leapt out at me one is the fact that when you're taking feedback from the game you're having to reconcile it against a vision of the game for you that is patches ahead mm -hmm. which the which the community doesn't get to see in the same way that's the first. The second thing is uh, it's something that I've heard elsewhere too, talking about uh, the way communities and developers interact. Is that um, developers don't always know what's wrong with their game, but gamers don't know. While they do know what's wrong, they they are not in the best place to know how to address it. Right. So you're in the tough spot um, as lead game designer of having to trust what people say is not working, but not be able to necessarily take what they suggest because um, most of the really passionate planet side players out there have put in thousands of hours. You can't replace that kind of experience. Like are, there aren't that many people I'm sure on the dev team who have anywhere close to that kind of experience. No, just me. <laughs> right. Um, right. And that's something else we can talk yeah, about. Yeah, but fortunately too. I, I play the game. So like I, I have a decent understanding of all these issues. Uh, even the ones that, you know, like that aren't in my specific sphere of expertise, like, yeah, I only use vehicles to an extent. Uh, in construction, I hardly ever touch at all um, mm -hmm. because it's it's just not my playstyle. But at the same time, because of my knowledge about the game, like I can see, you know, where people are coming from, and th that's important to have too. Uh, unfortunately, so the double-edged sword here is that when people have extensive, extensive, you know, time in the game, uh, it also creates a bias uh, in in most cases, mm -hmm. uh, I would say, because they they're so like honed in on their specific playstyle. Uh, that they naturally want to protect that playstyle, or they view things differently. Like, oh, this is, you know, this is uh, cheap because it's killing me in this way or whatever. Yeah. You know? mm -hmm. And you could, I think, one of the cool things about our game is that because there are so many different spheres of uh, of influence, when you get them all like talking back and forth to one another, it's very clear that there is no solid answer, <laughs> which to me uh, seems like like, hey, the game is relatively balanced. You know, when <laughs> when people aren't like, you know, when uh, yeah, when the whole spectrum of people aren't complaining about the same thing, then then this is probably this, it's a pretty good place to be, I think. Yeah, it makes sense. Uh, I've heard you use the word sandbox to talk about Planet Side in mm -hmm. the past, and it's it's a big three faction game, combined arms, thousand different ways to die, and I really like what you just said there about how um, if not everyone's complaining about the same thing, it means that well things are in a relatively at least if they're unbalanced, they're all still leaning together in a way that it falls together. Some kind of metaphor. I don't know. I get it. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Rel. I hope someone else did too. <laughs> one other person in chat. That's it. Yeah. Shout out to that one person. Um, okay. Wow. So, so many interesting things to talk about. Um, but I really, I really still want to stay focused on this this path that you went down. So, bringing it back once again to your. Last time we, uh, so we 
I had asked you how hard it was to keep doing YouTube videos, and you said it got hard over time. Mm -hmm. um, so your video that you announced you were working there was January 2016, and the last video on your channel was, I think, November 2017. So about a year and a half, you kept doing videos. Um, I wanted to ask you a little bit about the transition from being an independent contractor to working there full-time. How did that happen? I So... Uh, just for, for clarity's sake, I wasn't an independent contractor per se. Like I was still, I think I was actually on the team, like as a, well, no, nah, maybe that's not right. As a remote contractor. Anyway, you were they, remote they told me that, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I was in Connecticut. They basically said, uh, said that you have to come to California if you want to keep working on the game. Uh, and that, that was due primarily to, um, the fact that like they needed to treat me as a, an employee based on the amount of control that I had. Uh, usually when you're doing contract work, uh, I think that the tasks are more well-defined, but for me, it's more, it, it was more nebulous. And like, and I, I had access to a lot of, uh, a lot of the tools and, and everything else. So they had to treat me like an employee and in order for them to do that due to California law, um, and hopefully I'm correct on this, uh, I had to at least live somewhere in California. Uh, so gotcha. that's what it came down to. And uh, I wouldn't say that it was an easy decision um, at all. You moved your family with you? No, no. So. Oh, wow. That's tough. Yes. Which wow. is why it was not an easy decision uh, at all. Um, but yeah, yeah. It was, uh, you know, we talked about it. And like the best thing for me was to, to, to try to do, you know, what I always wanted to do. Wow. So, Rel, uh, you picked up and went to California. And when you got there, was it any different or were you just doing the same work in the, in a different place? Um, see, I, I think the main thing that was different was just being able to, to interact with everybody, mm -hmm. like everybody that I already had kind of like, I mean, not even like met everybody. I, I don't think, I think there was at least a, a few people that I hadn't, but, um, just to kind of like work alongside people. I don't know. It was, it's like surreal, uh, and crazy. And then also, what were some of the uh, highlights? Who was, who was the most who was the most not like you expected out of the whole group? Uh, you know, I, I can't say that people weren't like what I expected, but there was a lot of really yeah. cool personalities there, like uh, Bill Yates, who now um, he's up in uh, I think Seattle-ish working on crypto or at Cryptic mm -hmm. right now. But mm -hmm. uh, yeah, he was um, lead artist at the time, and uh, he has this kind of like uh, I don't know, just like a really he's just a really happy like jovial dude. Um, so that was fun to be around. And uh, and then there was like people that I, I didn't get to um, to spend too much time with. Uh, Red Daughter had uh, he was a UI uh, programmer and he had left left shortly after uh, after I had got there. Um, and uh, and I, I would remember like him you know, chiming into to certain Reddit threads and that sort of thing. And I thought mm -hmm. that was cool. So it's just like yeah, it was just cool. Like I actually live in it. But um, but like because I had kind of already been doing the work, uh, what I what I really enjoyed is that I can go there any time in the morning and just do work hmm. like i was there at like two o'clock in the morning on saturday um and just like like just making things <laughs> and it was uh, i love it so much sounds like it was a a real uh, i don't know like a liberation like you were there on your own like and i'm sure that posed challenges of its own but being there mm -hmm. by yourself on, on your own steam and being having access to everything um what what kind of what kind of problems or initiatives were you most excited to work on at that stage? 
Ooh, um, so when I got there, uh, if, if I'm remembering the timetable correctly, that was like, I, I didn't actually get to spend too much time working with, uh, with Kebmo and Bernas, uh, both of which I had uh, admiration for, mm-hmm. uh, cause they were moved off to, uh, a different project. I, I, th- I think they moved off to H1Z1 at the time. Right. Um, cause that was when like H1Z1 was just going off the charts and they were, you know, like, like king of the genre and you know, everybody's popping champagne bottles and whatever else. I don't know if that actually happened. It probably did. I imagine so. Um, but basically like, it was like, put all the chips <laughs> into H1Z1, which included a lot of, um, a lot of people from, uh, uh, planet side, um, the planet side two team. And, uh, and I was new, uh, like there. And then Nick was, uh, he got there shortly after me. Um, Paul Jaja was actually there before me, uh, working in house. And then it was just us three. <laughs> it's just like, okay, make the game go. <laughs> uh, and we're all learning too, you know? Um, Holy shit. And, and that was just the, the core team. Like we still got, you know, some support from, uh, uh, from like, uh, like art support from Bishop or from Bill or, um, or I think maybe, you know, project management support from, from Jason Good. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, so like, we weren't just, just like left, you know, flapping. Um, but I, uh, but Nick was like, you know, taking on the product management role. And then uh, Paul had actually been, um, he was actually recruited to work on a different game, uh, but he ended up getting kind of you know, stuck on, on Planetside 2. And uh, I, I'm glad that he did because <laughs> uh, he is, um, he likes to, to figure things out. And he's, I think he was, he was doing uh, pretty well. Like kind of like, like given our, our, our position. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, yeah. For like when when he has something that that he wants to do, it's just like like he'll 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 figure it out. Uh, and he's a really good shepherd of the code base too. Which, given the uh. the history of of the game, <laughs> there's been a lot of coders at different you know points throughout the history. So uh, he was he was really trying to drive it forward um, and create uh, create something better. You know, from from then on on out. Wow. Yeah. So three people mm-hmm. who you were the only three people who were working full-time on planet side you had help from outside from Mm -hmm. from other specialties let's say coding art pm like you said but it was you three guys at the core um how hard was it at that time to i don't even know how to formulate this question i just can't imagine working on a game the size of planet side with three people i have more people than that on my team and we do something a lot smaller than planet side and it feels pretty hard so i don't think i think it was hard i think it was frustrating um because like anytime you you have ambition you know and don't have the resources to accomplish it it's like kind of a kick in the nuts um but uh like we you know just kept just kept doing and kept making and uh and we like we wanted to to grow the game out and uh i think we did or like it very at the very least staunch the bleeding which i was like you know one of my goals at the time and uh yeah, I think toward the start, if I'm remembering correctly, like I was doing a lot of, you know, quality of life stuff, and I was doing a lot of, um, it's kind of like lower, lower key stuff, mm-hmm. um, and like like all the the new events um, for for holiday directives, like you know, updating those, like that was another thing that happened. You know, you had the same mm-hmm. Halloween event for four years or whatever it was, right? Uh, you know, just like a so kind of kind of taking it slow, but also doing like big updates in any way that we could do big updates. Mm-hmm. Actually, uh. I know you got a bullet point talking about combined arms, but that actually was with when I had uh, Burness and and uh, and Kevmo available, um, and that's like basically all we had was was design um, was uh, design work. 
or design resources. So you couldn't you couldn't put new vehicles in the game. You couldn't implement new major systems. All you could do as a designer at that point is well come up with good ideas and maybe play with numbers. It sounds like maybe I'm reducing it a little bit. Yeah. So um, it's certainly not numbers. Like a designer has a lot of power depending on the skill sets that they have. Okay. Uh, like I can, for example, um, create uh, a weapon in you know 3D art, um, and then you know, put it into, like, get it processed and put it into the game and create the icons and then create all the stats for it and then you know, create the particle effects for it and then, you know, you know put it into the game. Oh. And also, okay. like, all the marketing data and then then the event that is tied to it. So Little Helper is an example of a, a really horrible-looking uh, 3D model. <laughs> but there's been other stuff, too. Like, uh, the uh, the anniversary stuff, a lot of the, those things I I did. Um, and it's, like, okay. you know, some of the best-selling stuff. And it was just, like, just me over, like, a weekend or, like, or a cool. week, I think. Yeah, no, I mean, so like you have a lot of power depending on the skill set. Gotcha. Uh, it's more like how how good are you at those things? Like if I was really good at 3D modeling, like I, I could probably get a lot more done. Mm -hmm. uh, and not for lack of trying. <laughs> it's just, it's difficult. It requires um requires people who know what they're doing more than me. Uh, yeah, like, you know, all the camos, you know, do the art in Photoshop and uh, change all the other reflective um, values and that sort of thing mm -hmm. to make it super so spicy. Yeah. So a small number of people, you you did mm -hmm. have some ability on the team, but it's not the same if you have like, say, compare it to what you're working with today, where it seems like you yeah. have a lot more specialist talent just ready to go when you need it. Right. Yeah. The, mm -hmm. the people that we're working with now are, they have been there for quite a while. Uh, the, the majority of the team, like vast majority of the team, uh, a lot of which worked on uh, Planetside 2 back before, before H1Z1 and then you know, moved on to that and then on to arena and then you know, back to wow. that too. Okay. Uh, yeah. So, so there's, there's a lot of history, a lot of experience. Like everybody, everybody is like super dedicated. I'm very, very happy to have uh, the team that we have. Like everybody there is a rock star so far as I'm concerned. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, yeah, well, like one of the benefits that you, you have is, is obviously more people, but obviously um people who are specializing in those roles too. So like you just get a better end product. So like, yeah. for example, the the Bastion, like the, ex well, like not just the model and everything, because, you know, that was uh, done originally in PSA, but then we like redid it for Planet Set 2. But like the explosions come off of it, like on the thing it blows up, it's like mm -hmm. it's beautiful, gorgeous. And then all the audio work and everything else, like I can't do that. Yeah. Um, it's great when so those things like, blow up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So like more hands is, is helpful and then more like specialized people is like super helpful mm -hmm. so uh and that's what game development should actually look like shouldn't, <laughs> shouldn't look like uh just us trying to to make make it go mm -hmm. so when you were trying to make it go you use the word staunch the bleeding mm -hmm. um what bleeding needed to be staunched uh so over time i mean all, all games tend to go this route unless you get some uh some really cool reversals like uh, Rainbow Six Siege or or Warframe, um, but they decline in player base, right? They're new and shiny when they come out, and then people, for various numerous reasons, leave the game. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, could be that there's uh, there's something else that grabs their attention. It could be that you know their uh, their computer can't you know handle it, or it could be that their group of friends has left, so they then uh, leave. It could be that there's you know an itch that is no longer being scratched or like they don't like the direction the game is going or like there's just a handful of bugs that like constantly just pressure them into just like and not dealing with it anymore mm -hmm. um 
and then it could be the new player experience. Like we get loads of new players through the door every day, but can't retain them. And that's been a game or uh, an issue that's plagued the game for the entirety of its life cycle. Mm-hmm. And and when it comes to increasing populations over time, which is which is my goal, um, it is like a lot of it does come down to the new players, because you know the more you can retain, the the more healthy that um, that game will be, and then health kind of fuels itself too. Uh, like once you have more people playing the game, more people are content to play the game. Mm-hmm. So, so you you mentioned combined arms initiative. Just a few minutes ago, you talked about staunching the bleeding new player experience. Are these things connected? Um, yes. So, com- so given the at the at the time, so it was us, you know, three designers. Um, we had to decide what we wanted to work on. So the the different interacting domains, um, the air vehicles, ground, um, or air vehicles, infantry rather, uh, has always been viewed as a problem. Uh, I don't think that combined arms had the right solutions, but had the right intent. <laughs> Which was? Uh, to Well, it was, a, it was a handful of goals. The first was to to make it so vehicle combat was was not, like it didn't just exist to exist, which uh, I think farming infantry like was just a thing that vehicles did. Like there was a, it used to be a, a hash uh, vehicle like on, on every mountaintop uh, just yeah. shelling into to points. And like if we... We're able to give them goals, you know, like potentially we could help like reroute them and uh, and give them like a reason to be in vehicles too. It was kind of um, the goal should be that uh, that infantry like primarily are, are what happens at the bases and then like everything between the bases is like uh, mm-hmm. governed by by the vehicles. Uh, that's just where like they're kind so of different like actual predator. spatial domains. Right here, infantry, um, their vehicles. Right. Yeah, and I, I think like some of that we hit, some of it we didn't. Um, when it came to like for the, the time to kill increases, for example, mm-hmm. um, a lot of that had to do with the thought that vehicles get destroyed um, faster than anybody can react to them, especially just like high skill level players. You know, like they just they know where to to ambush you from, or they're just like know how to aim you know, better than because because <laughs> honestly. Uh, vehicles aren't difficult to control, but uh, but they can be difficult to control. So, uh, depending on on whose hands are in. Mm-hmm. So uh, the thought was that if you increase that time to kill over time, it'd be a back and forth at least for a little bit. And uh, and the high skill player would still have the advantage, of course, because of where they attacked that attacked you from, and just the inherent skill advantages that come along with that. Mm-hmm. Um, but it really slowed down to the game to the point where there was it was just like more trouble than it's worth. I, hmm. I think at the end of it so walked back those changes um a lot of combined arms changes um over like the the next year and it was like it was month after month after month of uh of changes and uh a lot of good stuff came out of it too like i don't know who's going to remember this but um vanguard used to be much slower like i think the prowler used to be slower uh the the controls of vehicles actually got better um, and less butter sloped than they used to be, uh, and that was due to putting like a, a wheel at the center of, of uh, each of the the tanks instead of just the the six on the side. And like there was changes to make things like not tip over, you know, as much as they they did. Mm-hmm. And uh, like just a, a lot of I mean, thermals was removed, which was a, a big. I think it's still kind of a point of contention, um, just because vehicles like to farm people, and there's like a power fantasy that's like trying to be fulfilled. But yeah. thermals was a big. Like take that away, and then people actually have to try, you know, to uh, to get 
to kill yeah. infantry instead of just uh, being able to so easily designate those targets. Yeah. So thermals, for uh, those who don't know, was a way, was a toggle you could have, right, if you're in a vehicle and if you had the right equipment, where it would essentially monochrome out everything except for infantry. Right. Did also I don't I don't actually remember I'm not I'm also not a vehicle player. Um, did it also highlight vehicles or just infantry players? Uh, it highlights vehicles as well. Okay, so pretty sure anything yeah, you sure. might want to shoot would get highlighted. Right, right. And why did that tilt the gameplay towards infantry farming? Uh, so well, and alongside that, um, well, okay. To to your point, uh, it is very easy to see to see like when when the contrast is there then if you're like trying to look through you know trees and just other um noisy you know characteristics uh or like you know people who are just like they just blend in uh when when people normally mm -hmm. are like up against a wall or like in a shadow or or anything else and that having to actually look for your prey is uh it, it was a big deal uh and that was that was shown like yeah yeah like, iron so, um, scopes are still in the game for infantry right uh, yes, infantry versus infantry. Um, so that's not a problem to your mind compared to the vehicle thing. I'm actually asking because I don't know associated with it. Yeah, yeah. People don't tend to use it because um, it's a slower draw time, right? To, and and that matters a lot. So like as soon as you can like the quicker you can snap aim on somebody, then uh, uh, the easier it is to like like when you're coming out of a sprint, for example, and then you snap to the head, and it's, it's just uh, it's the quickest way to kill people. Um, but the, the additional um, in downsides time is is detrimental for people like at least at a high skill. Mm -hmm. uh, the certain strategies that could take advantage of it, of course, like you know smoke um, mm -hmm. was a good one. Uh, yeah. In regards to thermals, like another thing to point out is just when you're in um, the trees of Hassan, uh, for example, seeing something that's that's yellow stands out immediately. You know when mm -hmm. you're kind of up in the the brush or whatever. It's it, the difference is night and day truly. Right. And then we also made explosions weaker <laughs> so so that uh it wasn't as rewarding like now you need two shots you know with the splash instead of the one shot splash which mm -hmm. was on pretty much everything mm -hmm. yeah okay so combined arms yeah it, it's definitely one of those things that the community likes to bring back up mm -hmm. and hearing you talk about how it had good intentions but maybe didn't quite hit the mark um man i get that uh and that's a tough thing to do and you've you've I think really had to to live with that because um, you were at the front of the team when that was happening. People, you were new to the team, and people knew you as a YouTuber, and you, you engaged with the community, and you, I think, um, have become because people know you, they remember you, and you see your YouTube videos, kind of a lightning rod for that negative feedback. Yeah. Yeah, and it sucks not having um, like multiple people to talk to. So if it's if it's always just coming out of my mouth, then it's like, you know, there's there's some baggage that comes along with that. Um, so it was good when like you know Nick would chime in, you know, on certain yeah. things, or when Roxy would chime in on on you know some of the community related stuff. Um, and uh, yeah, and it's nice to have you know Andy now, and it's nice to have you know the other people who are willing to like share mm -hmm. stuff. So it helps, you know, take some of the focus off. But at the same time, I feel like our relationship is probably much better nowadays too than it, it used to be, because um, that was like, like I was back there during a time when the game wasn't, it really wasn't, you know, doing so hot and it didn't mm -hmm. have a whole lot going for it either. Mm -hmm. So, 
Yeah. yeah being able to turn that around was nice. In your, uh, the last video you put on YouTube, uh, five years of planet side, it's called, uh, you, it was a, you had a pretty great spirit to it. And it really, um, if you go back and watch it, then you hear, uh, you talking as though, um, it's like you just come out of a major conflict almost like you saw greener pastures ahead. You talked about how, um, the dev team was doubling up to the, to a, you know, uh, unimaginable size just... of six. <laughs> right. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, you talked about plans for then 2018, which was coming up. And you said that um, things were now in place so that the game could grow. Mm -hmm. I wonder if you could talk about some of the things that happened leading up to that video that put you in that position. What was that team of three able to accomplish that moved the needle? That's a good question. It was so long ago. Uh, implants was definitely a big thing that we okay. did, like completely reversed the financial trajectory of the game. Mm -hmm. And uh, and also just made the system better because it sucked. Uh, and that continues to be like something that you know helps sustain us financially. So like that that is I'm I'm downplaying it a little bit, but it's it was really, really important. Um and in doing so, like because of like that system and, and some of the other stuff that we're doing, like we were able to to hire on three people. Mm -hmm. And uh like one of which was a UI programmer, which we didn't have. Um Need actually that. yeah, I uh, well, one of the other UI programmers was helping us with um, with the implants implementation, but uh, but that was on temporary loan. So just clarify. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, and then we picked up another um, programmer. We picked up another designer, and like we were we we're in good shape, uh, at least or so I thought. <laughs> sure. But as sure. Uh, as ambitions increase, um, and then also the ramp up time. It's like it. The ramp up time is pretty substantial for for this. Uh, for this game and then just like especially the code base and stuff mm -hmm. uh, so the time it takes from, yeah. the, from the day someone comes on joins a team to the time that they're really independent and able to get things right. done efficiently that's correct right makes sense um so for those who don't know or who are listening to this and maybe don't know a lot about planet side you know the one of you out there um implants are uh each character has two implant slots in planet side and the way you acquire implants is a bit varied. It's it's a little complicated. It's one of the systems more complicated. One of the games more complicated, I think, systems in some ways. Um, you can work towards some implants with ISO, right? And I think that that major iteration you're describing included the introduction of ISO, if mm -hmm. I'm remembering that right. Yep. Um, it's another currency alongside certifications, and there's some there's some way to exchange certifications for ISO. There's some currency trading, not directly, but um, you can do there you buy the same things with different currencies but when you're buying an implant you're not unless you're using iso which is a slow to accumulate currency which you can get for total totally for free um another way to get those is to is to buy them in what is essentially a loot box and i'm i'm sure that that's when you talk about the success that that's where that came from um yeah. looking back at that at that system now um its success is hard to deny there's a lot of talk going on in, in the world of gaming today about loot boxes being on the outs, about impending oh, yeah. regulation. Yeah. Um, are you guys paying attention to that stuff with regard to implants specifically and with future monetization efforts? I would, I would say paying attention to it, yes. Um, and if the time comes that we're, we need to pivot you know, in some way, I think we'll, we'll have to figure out a strategy for it. Because, um, yeah, I mean, it's... it's uh, it's a big deal. I mean, depending on 
on who you talk to. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think that we kind of, our community uh, was very accepting, like unusually accepting of, uh, of implants and a loot, loot create model. Uh, and I, I think that a lot of that came from the fact that the system was just so bad to begin with. Uh, like we got rid of energy, which was like oh, it was yeah. a mechanic to basically drain your wallet or you don't get to perform it um, at peak uh, capacity. And um, totally pivoted away from that. And it's just like, hey, now it's a progression system like everything else in the game. Um, and so that's probably where where a lot of that uh, goodwill came from. But then also I, I was trying to to be straight with people like at every point where it's like, like, yes, this is a monetization system. This is what we're putting into the game. Uh, and you'll be able to uh, purchase these implants with your, uh, you know, scummy loot box practices. So, <laughs> wink, wink, uh, nudge, nudge. Right? Yeah. Um, my opinion on loot boxes is kind of, uh, it's a little, little back and forth. I think ideally, there's cosmetics, right? But I don't think that it does uh, nearly as much for a game um, that because p- people are just willing to pay for power. But one of the goals that I had personally was to make it so like. Like you don't have to suffer through the, the loot box system. You can just buy the implants outright, and uh, and that's when crafting came into uh, to be. And I think that happened maybe a year or a little bit less. Oh, wow. uh, somebody can correct me if I'm wrong. I remember being that so far apart. Okay, so it was it was pure. Yeah, no, it was, it was quite RNG a while. for quite a while. Mm-hmm. Huh. Yeah, and uh, and even even now you can't buy exceptionals, but that'll be changing in the next update. Um, oh, yeah. Uh, that's surprise. nice to know um yeah yeah just throwing that in there um and it's also making good on a on a promise that i made um quite a while ago where uh, i definitely wanted it to come with sanctuary but it, it didn't make didn't make sense at the time sure so, uh, that's i'm really thrilled to hear that rel because yeah. i think for people from the outside looking in it's seeing how awesome bastions are and seeing how cool outfit wars looks like one of the things people will scan for at the right at the beginning is how much of this game is RNG? How much of this game is going to force me to waste my time? And even if the the practical benefit you get from that RNG engagement is not that significant, or even if they really are edge case situations, just merely having that randomness, I think, is a risk for attracting new people, probably. I know a lot of my friends will look at that and say, oh, this is a loot box for power. I'm not, I'm not even going to engage at all. So having a way... Yeah to say, nope, um, loot boxes are optional is, I think, huge. And I'm relieved to hear that it's coming soon. So I, I think that's it's kind of an interesting um, point of discussion because I, I think that the loot box system is probably, I think it's obfuscated enough to where where people won't say like immediately that something is pay to win unless that's kind of the concession that they're, uh, or the preconception that they're entering the game with anyway. Like people... Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, because like you know, you'll get killed by something, and it's like, oh, this guy has better gear than me, and you know, probably not the case, um, or it is, but it doesn't matter, you know. Uh, so it's probably just like a deeply held opinion that they have, you know, based on their um, their experience or their skill level or, or whatever it is. Uh, but then also, like we we have made efforts to like standardize the the play space, um, at least with with one loadout. Like everybody has, you know safeguard and everybody has uh target focus which are both good implants for new players mm-hmm. um target focus i still use like on on a bunch of stuff uh and then the uh we also like started giving you know packs out for you know alert wins and for directives and, and everything else so we didn't make it inaccessible mm-hmm. uh and i i think the people who kind of uh 
like the, the community members who are a part of um, like have experience in those systems, they're kind of like advocates for like, you know, hey, like this is probably the only like pseudo pay to win you know, thing about the game. Mm -hmm. uh, but it also it's not a big deal. And like that's that's kind of the, the place that you want to be uh, for mm. like you want the community to be at your back, you know, regardless of what you're doing um, and monetization practices. Yeah. Uh, they are uh, knocking, knocking at your door with pitchforks. They're giving you a nudge and like, hey, man, maybe take care of this. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that was definitely one of my goals is to kind of like remove the, the, even the argument for, for the pay to win yes. element. Yeah. Like I just, I, I don't think it's as big, like I don't take it as seriously as, um, okay. as other people. Like I, I know that other people will say like, Hey, there's you know, some RNG in this game, but sometimes like to me, that feels good. Um, but yeah, it, I, I totally it goes back to the, the whole idea of grinding, which right. is the yeah. kind of the MMO spirit bubbling up from the, from the, yeah. Earth of Araxis, yeah. you know. Um, and I, it's funny how people don't, like, they don't make that connection because it's not, it, it doesn't tend to be like, you know, do this, and then you know kind of like in the ranges of what you're going to get, and then you get the thing, mm -hmm. um, and then do that over and over. It's more like, like because it is a, a currency interaction, I think it feels different. Like, yeah. it feels more like, you know, gambling, or it feels more like um, just like wasting, you know, money. I guess when you when you throw stuff in, and then you don't get what you want. Mm -hmm. Or shirts, which can take a long yeah. time to grind, yeah. especially if you're playing totally for free. But if yeah. you're playing for free, I mean, hey, right, interesting. Yeah. Um. Well, I'm. I think that's a really interesting take on on that RNG aspect of it. Um. And certainly, I mean, randomness is a part of any MMO. You look at anything. Um. I don't know. Sometimes I think if if uh. If plants that had a dragon or two to kill, people would better understand uh, right. uh, <laughs> that right. that part of it because uh, it's yeah. not as much on the surface, is it? Yeah, yeah. No, I mean presentation is important. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So what continuing the about? story, <laughs> continuing the story of Rel. You always have to bring me back. <laughs> epic of Rel. Oh no, this is the way I prefer to do this, man. Okay, that's good. Um, I don't. I mean. You saw, I sent you a bunch of questions we, we might talk about, and we ping pong all around, as I promised we would. Uh, my goal is to have a conversation, which I think we're doing. And, But this story is super important, I think. Um, it's uh, it's an interesting one, and you being in the position you are, people should know about it. Um, after this video you published at the end of 2017, Five Years of Planetside, uh, you said something very interesting at the end of it that I, I, I wrote out here. Um, you 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 signed off that video with a really a really passionate kind of speech about we're going to do this we're going to do that new player experience and outfits and mm -hmm. all these great things and then you kind of chuckled and said unless management throws a monkey wrench at us <laughs> right so uh, in 2018 did that happen uh probably i think it's happened at probably every uh every turn that the game has had okay um yeah yeah there was a lot of um uh, the just the history in general is kind of um you know, tumultuous so you can have the best intentions but you know sometimes things don't work out and it, I, I wouldn't even say that's all like entirely you know management's fault mm -hmm. wink, wink. <laughs> but mm -hmm. uh, but no no like you know a lot of it came down to just like sometimes you uh one of the problems that i have i think is is being too ambitious so i like have a, a really large scope and then we have a really small team so uh Things take longer than they than they probably should, and then there's always the the roadblocks, which were you know unaccounted for at the time. And uh, yeah, it was a it was quite the the learning experience. I've learned a lot in almost uh, almost four years now. Wow, four years, man. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it'll be four years in uh, 
uh, October is when I officially came down here. Wow. Wow. So yeah, that, that year of 2018, um, in my notes, I don't have a lot to say about it until the very end of it, when a very interesting pivot in Planetside happened, which was uh, a round of layoffs, um, forever subscriptions, and the announcement of Planetside Arena. Mm. So how did the announcement of Planetside Arena affect how you worked on Planetside 2? Uh, so I, I think that there was a lot of potential good that um that could have come out of out of arena like there were some like intentions to like co-develop the games uh side by side uh and, it, and that like helped you know get us dx11 like it mm -hmm. doing arena was a good excuse for us to get dx11 and I, I say excuse because you need so so here's the thing um when it comes to uh creating like a successful game a lot of that success is measured in financials and like we as developers need to balance the needs of the community with the needs of the company and the needs of the game as well. Uh, and, and that mean like, like the community needs to be like, feel like, you know, energized and, or placated or, you know, whatever company needs to, uh, to have the shatter. And then, um, uh, the game needs to go where we want it to go. You know, like if we have uh, a, a goal and a vision for, for where we want to take it. Um, and a lot of times, well, I, I shouldn't say a lot of times, sometimes those things don't, don't mesh up um and for for us like planetside arena like we we weren't making um i would say like we definitely weren't making enough money to to say like ah yes dx11 you know please do this your game has a bright shining future ahead um yeah. go ahead no it was more like like you guys are doing a good job over here um so like just do that <laughs> like that's that was uh was what our team was um so like whatever we could get from from arena was like a good thing for us uh, and DX11 was a was a big part of that. I uh, came over to the game. Unfortunately, just given the kind of the rigors of developing Arena, like we didn't have the support to like fix all the issues that came with DX11, mm. and it left it left Planetside 2 in a really crappy state. Mm -hmm. um, and then leading up to that, just the development um, before that, there was like six months without good content uh, for Planetside 2, and that was very detrimental to the game. Um, and a lot of that was like kind of banking um, our development on like what was happening with with Arena, but there was mm. like there, there was a lot of like I don't want to get into it, but there was there was a lot of um, you know stuff happening on on that project um, completely separate from us, and uh, and where it probably like we if I like know now what I I wait if I knew then what I I know now, uh, we probably would have went a different direction uh, with with Planet Side Two and like maybe not um, invested so heavily in in these like specific like the specific things that the content that we're, we're trying to to do i think uh ns or black ops like we probably wouldn't right. even have done it um and uh and then that was like the the big hand wavy thing that came along with uh dx11 so like those two things probably just would have went in a different direction um mm. honestly and then like when things were stabilized on on the other team like we could have you know then you know started to integrate it but we were trying to like hit our beat to to fix um to like fix the trajectory of the game, but unfortunately, like just due to kind of the the just the this collision of factors, it just didn't play out that way. So, and that that happens. I mean, you, you take your uh, you, you place your bets on on, on what you think you, know, you should do, and you know sometimes those pay out, and sometimes they don't. Yeah, yeah, it totally makes sense. I'm I think looking back at it, it's pretty easy to see um, the connection between the two games, and maybe. Um, 
how there was a, uh, uh, well, I mean, like you said, you have to develop a few patches out. And when there's a new game and you're sharing team members with that new game, there's expectations of success and, and, uh, and honestly, just dollar signs that come with that. And when things don't go that way, um, and you know, Planetside Arena, um, don't want to hash it out because I know you're not the guy, but um, it just did not seem to catch. That's a good way to put it. Yeah. So, okay. I talked about a sequence of events at the end of 2018. I want to fast forward now to the end of 2019 where a few things happened um, kind of in, in, in an order that I think is seems connected and you can correct me if I'm wrong. Um, first thing is big round of layoffs in October. Hmm. Next thing that happened is the announcement that Planetside Arena is shutting down. That was in December, I think. And then in January, um, Rogue Planet Games gets announced. And there's a big letter from Andy Seitz, and he teases out the magic word Planet Side 3, <laughs> which we don't talk about right now. but Or ever. Or maybe. ever. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. <laughs> so, so that sounds like a history-laden statement to me. Um, no, but no. Are these... Are these can you take us through those events at the end of that year, the events leading up to Rogue Planet happening? Um, what was that like for you? It was such a blur. Um, yeah, so uh, so Arena is just kind of doing their thing, and um, and then God, just the timing with like Apex Legends and everything else was. Uh, yes. Uh, yeah, it's. So for know. those who don't know, um, originally, um, Planetside Arena was it was set to debut at the end of January. 2019 it was delayed to march and then immediately after that announcement was made apex legends just came out a huge incredibly well polished battle royale game which is exactly what arena was part of what arena was trying to do um and then things seemed to go back to the drawing board and then eventually like like we said that just didn't catch but um sorry continue please continue yeah uh yeah uh, and there, there's like a there's a whole lot encapsulated uh in there that i, I totally don't want to talk about um Fair enough. Uh, and it's not my place to do that. But uh, yeah. the so see on on our team, we're we're kind of just like trying to to keep things going, like trying to resolve. Like I think honestly, fixing DX11 bugs took the vast majority of our time, like for a, a long amount of time. Wow. Uh, and then NSO too was was just like it was a uh, a lot of work to um to try to alleviate. Like it still has issues, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, and uh and at the same time, you know, like trying to keep up the some sort of content cadence, you know, like we're doing the summer stuff and just like events in general and and keeping all, all that going. But um, I think at the end of the day, um, like what it came down to is that uh, in, in typical kind of like corporate fashion, fashion is like, you know, things needed to be cut somewhere and then uh, then some decisions were made and then, you know, surprise uh, layoffs happened. So uh, for my team in particular, that was it was really uh, kind of kind of heartbreaking. Um, hmm. Because because we had survived um, a fair amount of layoffs, I, I think you know maybe two prior or something like that, uh, and you know we were were kind of always looked at as like like you know you have such a small team and you're able to do so much, and um, you know, maybe the community would disagree, but if you go back and look at all the patch notes, like we did a lot, you know, over mm -hmm. the years, and uh, yeah, especially given our team size, and so as far as like you know net profit, uh, we were doing like doing very well. For, for a long period of time. And then there was that slowdown, you know, toward the, the end of the year. And then, you know, how much of that effect is that? I don't know. Um, but uh, yeah, so I, I end up losing uh, Drew and Paul and uh, and Garrett too. So it's just uh, 
Oh, I'm sorry. No, it was, uh, yeah. Yeah, no, it was, it was Drew, Paul, Garrett, um, Nick, and it was just me and Zach <laughs> left. Wow. And uh, that was weird. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay. And yeah, I cried. <laughs> uh, I did. Yeah, people, especially around the yeah. office, I'm, um, I'm very uh, kind of stoic most of the time. And uh, I think my, my team at the time, like, totally like rarely ever see me um uh issue emotion so yeah so that happened yeah um, wow yeah that's that's rough so well literally and i'm not trying to make fun of you but literally in tears and then three months later rogue planet games is a thing and your team is 10 times that size right. how connect these things for me uh, I mean, what it, what it came down to is that there was a lot of um, more experienced uh, people from the arena team that it's not like, so so one of the things that um, I think is is important is that you, you kind of hire for like experience and then skill, mm-hmm. not necessarily like the the job roles that you need at the time. I mean, I mean that's at least my Either mentality. Person, I think it was- not, not the job, that kind of idea. Yeah, I, I think that was Daybreak's mentality um, kind of early on too. But uh, but yeah, like once it's it's like actually really difficult to, to hire, um, at least like especially on a game this old. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you know you have a whole bunch of people who still you know totally uh, you want to to hang around, um, and they get rolled into Planetside too. You know, and then we're like in the lab, you know, just just coming up with the, the next big thing. Mm-hmm. And uh, Escalation was a cult, uh, culmination of like five months of work. Ah. Uh-huh. So, that was one of my questions. Yeah, so, yeah, so that, that was update. like, yeah, we we weren't um, Rogue Planet Studios, you know, publicly for for quite a while, you know, mm-hmm. after the team got got rolled into into Planetside too. Okay. So we were able, yeah, we we're just like we're 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 doing stuff, lots like just lots of, of work and lots of discussions, and there is like a lot of I don't know, just like a lot of uh, new blood and excitement. Not I say new blood, but it's it's um. um <laughs> For me, it was all new. <laughs> well, it was new creative energy so, uh, because you were bringing people who yeah. hadn't, hadn't been working together on the same things to work on together yeah. on this this thing called Planet Side, and I, I respect yeah. that. So yeah, That's five it. months to get to get Escalation out the door, which is Outfit Wars, the War Asset System, the mm-hmm. Bastion. Yeah. Um, I don't know if I've ever seen people. You know, I like most Planet Side players. I've always been getting my friends to try to play Planet Side. It's <laughs> <I> impossible. Think... <laughs> Well, and this is a, this is a conversation we can have. Um, I heard you say something about the NPE sucking. I don't know. Um, I, I think players are smart to some degree. I think they know if they're up for it. Um, I think it's 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 hard to tell why you die in Planetside sometimes, but it's kind of easy to tell what the game's about. Um, and uh, yeah, so I, I I respect when my friends tell me they don't want to play it, and it's not because they just they just don't know what's good about it. It's because they can figure it out. Um, at least that's my feeling about it. I, I found, find that it's easier to introduce people to the game when you're not playing it with them. Uh, and I think that kind of, at least that's just you know, my experience. Um, and it kind of, I think it could probably be one of two things. It's like you have a person who who likes to learn stuff um, by themselves and it's just kind of better in that environment. Uh, actually, no, that's probably, the, that's probably the main thing. I forget where else I was going with this. So but, uh, I think that introduce someone me. at a pace that's more newbie flavor as opposed to dragging someone along kind of you as the uh, the uh, grizzled veteran 
Yeah, well, I I think that's that's part of it. Like, even if you try to dumb down the experience for them, it's it's unlikely. I think that they'll uh, they'll stay. Uh, thank you, Madman. That is sorry. I'm I'm checking chat. Big Madman, uh, way laying it down. Oh, that's way better than that uh, dumpster fire of the uh, the chat that you guys had going on. <laughs> Hype. All uh, right. Yeah. Cool. Thank you. Um, yeah, yeah. I just think that the game is it's kind of um, it's very particular. Like you have to, you have to be willing to, to take your knocks, mm-hmm. um, and that's part of the learning process. And people who don't learn that way or just uh, get frustrated after, after dying, I think that they probably just, you know, they won't stick around. And hopefully, mm-hmm. we'll be able to kind of like, like there's a lot of information um, around there. Like, and who knows if a tutorial can can even like, like really move things in the right direction. Mm-hmm. But but we should have a tutorial, right? I think that's just like fundamentally probably a good idea at least to try and actually like we we removed the tutorial uh as an experiment uh during escalation um that's where you get dropped or, into the hallway and you have to duck under the thing and then right yeah yeah, okay. yeah that uh it's just like here's how you move and it's like okay well thank you um person uh and then people who know how to move they're just like seeing different blocks of text that they totally don't hear or read or whatever um <laughs> you know what's funny like, is half the time i do that tutorial i get lost and i know how to play the game <laughs> you know it's probably because it's broken like it <laughs> you know it's probably just winding up in a, in a spot where it's broken um but yeah like so hopefully we can uh try to move that to a right direction but okay. I, I think the tutorial certainly needs to be better mm-hmm. um and then oh i i was i was getting to this before but we we turned off the <clears throat> tutorial as an experiment and uh and it did reduce retention so like we know it does something okay um Probably doesn't do enough, but uh, but it is a good thing to have. So like, if we can make a better one, yeah, which is totally on on the uh, to do list, and it's like a much more real part of the to do list than it was. So uh, so hopefully so yeah. hopefully we get to that, uh, you know, in about eight years. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, here's hoping for Planet Side Two in 2030. New player experience. Right. Yeah. Um, but okay, <laughs> joking aside, um, so there's clearly a floor. On how bad that tutorial can be, which you showed statistically. Escalation update. Is there a ceiling? To, sorry, how do, how do you phrase it? Or... I guess I guess I have a sense that there's a ceiling on how effective a tutorial can be for a game like Planet Side. Oh yeah, yeah. No, I'd imagine. Um, and it's it's hard to say what that ceiling is because we certainly haven't hit it. Mm-hmm. Uh, would be my thought, just based on how objectively awful that tutorial was. Um, but uh, it's, it's something that we could, like, we, we need to try to do it justice. And then, like, if we need to reel it back or if we need to, to go a different direction, that's easier to do, you know, once you actually have the thing in, in its entirety. Um, and it's something that you feel good about. I think the, the main points that you want to hit, though, with the tutorial is that you want the player to... So first off, you want to immerse the, the player into, like, like, what world they're going to be participating in. Mm-hmm. Um, but do so in such a way where it's, like, it's not like a Star Wars, you know, scrolling text or whatever, and like explain it to you. Like you have to feel it, um, and it also has to be enjoyable to to go through. Like it's like ah, you know, go to the bulletin board, look at all the jobs to make the money, to get the tickets. Nobody's gonna get that reference, but it's fine. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, okay. So, new player experience. Um, a lot of stuff that came in with escalation certainly supports this sanctuary. Um, is a, is a, Sanctuary is a thing I'm really excited about. Um, and from hearing you guys and the team talk about it, I think you guys are too. It's 
so right now it's, it's very lackluster and i think uh everybody who's, who's played is it's kind of like it has a or it exists um but doesn't have a reason to yet so with mm-hmm. the next update we we definitely want to you know kind of incorporate uh that um a fair amount and kind of make it part of the the core loop so like ideally players would log into uh to sanctuary but right now it doesn't make sense because there's nothing no reason to log in you know therefore right you're like you're not you're not uh you know like going there to, to level up or you're not you know doing whatever it is that um any de- town functions engrams or whatever yeah like an yeah, MMO. yeah exactly so that's um at least in some part um part of the next update uh and then i so like they they go in there and they get their missions or, or whatever and then you go to the, the battlefield and you do your stuff and you you know you have your your core shooting man's experience and then when you leave when you before you log off for the night you go back like that that should be the loop um mm-hmm. it's like a uh uh a rest um God, can't remember can't remember the name for it um it's but like yeah a, that's the, the like a pacing thing right yeah and in this game in in general has um it's it's always been kind of fast but i think it's only gotten faster over time mm-hmm. and and honestly like some of the the slower paced forms of gameplay are what helps helps people become acclimated with the environment um mm-hmm. so like construction is like you know as much as people trash on construction like it's a really important part of the experience for some players you know yeah. when you can kind of just like roam around and do stuff that isn't necessarily combat related um it's good for for learning uh, mm-hmm. and I, I think that people don't tend to tend to admit that uh that you can't just get good like it's not something that uh that happens overnight it's not even something that you inherit from other shooters uh, necessarily but uh but it is something that like takes you know obs- observation and people learn at different rates too so and and in different ways uh, you know, some people are content to just get trashed on. Some people uh, need to see what's happening, you know, and then like go through the process. And a lot of times, like the reason that, um, or one of the reasons that new players like gravitate toward the infiltrator class is because they know that they can be safe yeah. um, and they can also get kills too, you know? So mm-hmm. that, that bolter that's in the open field where they totally, you know, maybe shouldn't be, <laughs> or you don't expect them to be like, that's like a great thing for new players. And mm-hmm. um so the those forms of gameplay are important, and we want to uh, to make sure that there's like these proper exit points and just areas of rest, you know, when when people are kind of going through this experience. And you don't, you know, you maybe don't need to, but uh, for for like the veterans, but yeah. for for everybody else, like yeah, it's important. I like it for veterans too. I mean, I've I'm an old, oh, old school. I'm not sure if playing vanilla WoW is an old school MMO player, but um, close enough. You know, I mean, I, I did the MMO thing. Um, so my my gaming resume basically starts in around 2000 with a game called Team Fortress Classic. Mod for Half-Life 1. I played in a community-organized competitive scene for it. It's a shooter game, class-based, capture the flag, etc. Um, kind of some of the same DNA to a game that I know you have some history with Tribes 2. Mm-hmm. Um, I basically, after um, the clan that I ran for three years died... Um, I moved to playing World of Warcraft, and that sucked me in for a few years. And in that game, I had the great pleasure of running a 40-man raid guild for a while, which was um, equal parts nice. awful and great. Yeah, yeah, it's, <laughs> it's impressive. I, yeah, it's difficult. Yeah, it was it was quite a um, quite an undertaking. Um, but when you're engaged in a game like that, you're not always slaying trolls or slaying dragons, especially if you're running a a raid. 
you are spending a lot of time organizing people, talking to people. And it's not just like, I have to find people to run a, a dungeon with kind of thing. It's like, you're actually kind of networking. There's a, I think like the thing that describes an MMO quality to me is that the game is bigger than the mechanics. Like mm -hmm. there's a world within this executable that you can access right. when you load it up. And when I see something like Sanctuary come to the game, I see, I, I see that world start to take shape. And when I see storms on Esamir, I start to I see that world start to take shape. That that quality is something I love to see come more in the planet side. And also, um, another thing I'm, I'm I, I was super super happy about, and I've said this before, but Outfit Wars, which you can you know you can pick it apart and talk about what it is specifically, but not at the non-specific level, at the highest level, it gives communities a reason to pull towards something. Yeah. And I'm sure it's intentionally sized for midfits. Well, I shouldn't. I should take that back. I'm not sure, but it seems logical <laughs> to me. Um, and we can talk about the the impact of of outfit and new player interactions, right? But uh, to me, as an outsider, it seems what I tell anyone who wants to get into Planet Side, whether they're going to play with me or not, is find an outfit that is not enormous and just play with them. Mm -hmm. um, that social component of it is is seems really critical to me, and I've been going off for a little while. So, either I've yeah, lost no, I, you, or you really agree with me. No, no, I do agree with you because statistically, we found that okay. like the uh, players tend to stick around more once they're in outfits. You know, the the retention goes up. So, and that was kind of the impetus for, or one of the goals rather, uh, for the escalation update is that instead of outfits being like a glorified friends list, let's try to give them an objective mm -hmm. so that they can uh, interact more with their, you know, with their little social, um, social uh, bubbles or whatever. Um, and then also uh, so that like new players would have a, more of a reason, I guess, to like, you know, gravitate towards those outfits and like outfits would be willing to like, you know, find and recruit uh, new players and that sort of thing. Um, then as far as end game goals is what's kind of what, uh, what Outfit Wars was, was for us. Uh, an objective, at least, um, is to to give everybody again something to to strive for. Um, maybe it doesn't appeal to everybody, but that's that's kind of the point. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. I can't speak for everybody, but I, in my in my dotage, have become this kind of a player who likes to engage in big community games that have aspirational content. Mm -hmm. And when I say aspirational, I mean stuff that's hard that not everyone gets to gets to do. Um, I remember. Back in 20, I want to say early 2015, late 2014, when the Farmers League was a thing, which was a community organized competitive six versus six planet side infantry league. Shout out to PIL, by the way. You guys are doing awesome work this year. Um, fantastic event. Um, but when I was back in the day, that watching the Farmers League inspired me to log on every day and play. It inspired me, it called me forth to become a better player to engage it, it's like it's again it for a certain kind of player i think having that aspirational content paints a, a picture of a world where there's room to to grow into it and yeah. it's um whenever you engage with with a game that's mmo size whether it's planet side or world of warcraft or whatever um you're making a, a bond of trust with the player because it takes an enormous amount of hours to get the most out of these games right yeah i mean and you just kind of think about, you know, the fact that it is an MMO, like you're, you are going to come across these, uh, 
the same players, you know, repeatedly. So <clears throat> you're you're probably going to at least know them by like notoriety or yeah. or maybe like, you know, the, the reputation is positive on, or maybe like you squat Absolutely. up with these people and you want to squat up again. Like those are all good things to have. Like you should the game should be well actually I, I think if anything that's that's kind of what defines an MMO. Um is yeah, I, I, you put it perfectly. Like, you know, the game is uh, bigger than its mechanics. Right. Yeah, you know, I there's a guy who plays on Emerald, who all of y'all probably know. And um, he reminds me of... Those of you who play World of Warcraft, you probably know this archetype. The orc warlock in, who hangs out in Stranglethorn Vale and gangs newbies. You know what I'm talking about? If you don't know, you can probably imagine. Stranglethorn Vale is a unique zone in World of Warcraft where both sides of the game, the enemy factions really collide for the first time. And if you're playing on a PvP server, you're going to die a lot on your way to killing trolls or getting warthog intestines or whatever you're there to do. Um, and when I started playing Plantside again last year, in the summer of 2019, after the DX11 update, um, which, by the way, brought me back in. So, Good. yeah. Yeah, it was huge. And I think I gave it enough time so I didn't necessarily have to work through all the kinks with everybody. But yeah, I came back in and I decided, you know, I've been playing on Connery the whole time because I'm on the West Coast. I'm going to roll on Emerald and see what the Emerald culture is like. And I ran up against who, to me, the Stranglethorn or ganking warlock of that server was, which is Zonic. And, oh, really? Okay, yeah. interesting. Uh, you know, he hopped factions and I he... When I was just getting back into the game and was not any good, I, I measured myself against him. He was a piece of aspirational content for me. Like, I gotta, I wanna kill Zonic. I gotta get him. And in a play session, I might see him like seven or eight times. If I could get him once, I was like, yeah. And then the next week, I'm like, I'm gonna get him 25% of the time. And over time, that kind of grows. It's a self directed goal. Um, or at least yeah, that was intrinsic motivation there. Yeah. Right. And, um, I don't know. I think maybe there's there's some overlap with that that kind of entrepreneurial spirit you described. Um, but I think that Planet Side is a great game for people who have that. And the more kinds of um, tent poles you can put up uh, to give people room to create those things, the better it gets. And you know, bastions, colossi, outfit wars, yeah. all this stuff hits those beats. I think. So uh, I I want to share a, um, a fear with you. Okay. Uh, so, so we're we're working toward this um this mission system, the campaigns, and that sort of thing. Uh, but I feel like, and this is how I felt felt about directives too. And directives have obviously they've they've done a a lot of good for the game in that they kind of incentivize people to like keep keep playing. Um, anytime we throw a new directive in, like we know that there's a certain amount of players that are just going to pursue it. Doesn't even matter what the reward is. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, I I feel like. There's probably a balance somewhere where if the game becomes too focused on progression uh, to the point where it's, yeah, I, I don't even know, I don't even know where, uh, where the, the definition kind of is. But there, there's a certain point where you, where, where the game probably like feels like progression, and then because of that, the the intrinsic motivation kind of go, kind of goes away. Hmm. Um, the the willingness to create those personal goals mm -hmm. kind of gets pushed to the side, so that you can get the shiny stuff. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I hope that with our new system, we don't hit that. Um, I think that a lot of, um, well, I guess I shouldn't say a lot of games, like uh, many games have, you know, daily challenges and that sort of thing. Um, so one of the, one of the uh, kind of the changes to the 
to this system. It's a different take on it um, with with a new mission system. Is that I want players to be able to look at the list of of randomly generated um, uh, missions that they get. Or I'm sorry, to be clear, like we don't have the tech for that. Um, it's not randomly generated. It's like there's a list of missions randomly and selected. Certain, <laughs> randomly selected. It's better. Got yeah, it. better put. Um, so we, uh, man, randomly generated missions. Careful. Great. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, so you'll you'll be able to see that on the list, and you'll say like, okay, you know, I I want to do this, and this is the reward that it offers, and you kind of like have that internal conversation with yourself, um, and hopefully it's not like I want to slog through the worst possible garbage, so that like even though I don't play it, just so that I can get the best rewards. Like that's mm. what I hope we don't get, um, and mm. hopefully by virtue of this system, we're we're able to give people options um, and then also kind of create the missions in such a way that it creates like conflicts with players. Like there's definitely some experimentation with that where like something will um, for like, like a mining drill will, will start on the, on a continent or something like that. And then um, much like uh, like local events and like a destiny or a, or a guild wars two uh, or um Warhammer Age of Reckoning for anybody who played that. Mm-hmm. Uh, you'll have like kind of this this zone. And then um then people who are participating in that particular mission can go and like, you know, fight against one another and that sort of thing. So we want to create different points of you know contention, um, as well as you know, create like lower paced gameplay where it's just like, oh, well, I suck at killing people, so instead maybe I'll just do this courier mission. Um and basically give you like session-based goals that are kind of interconnected with the with the world as a whole uh so that when you, when you log in like, like there's uh there's more direction to your your session right. uh and it gives you something personal to do um i do think that you know maybe that's going to conflict at least starting out with some of the squad play stuff but uh but we'll see how it goes and we definitely you know would want there to be like squad and outfit based missions and that sort of thing um and again like like hopefully people are fighting like over the the world so like everything doesn't boil down to just like okay here's the lattice and this is the base that you're going to be fighting at for the next half hour uh hopefully it's like fighting you know around it and like doing other things that um kind of you know manipulate the battlefield uh yeah that's the goal at least. so the fear the the fear is that um i hope that we don't tip the scales to where it becomes this uh this gear grind mm-hmm, uh, that's mm-hmm. that's one of the things that i, I just i don't like i've, I've never felt uh, drawn to it personally like there's still a lot of stuff that i haven't unlocked but i just kind of play the game to play the game even directives i don't particularly pursue them and i don't know if that's um if that's more just because of my my archetype like i'm not a not a collector or like um uh do you know your bartle type uh, i i think i'm more of a killer primarily mm-hmm. uh and like kind of a sub um maybe achiever maybe but like so Bartle typing for everyone out there is a system that, that this guy who worked on multi-user dungeon games, old school text MMORPGs, came up, some buds. <laughs> came up to... That's where I learned how to type. Sorry, I keep interrupting. Go oh, ahead. there's a story. Yeah. <laughs> That's a good motivation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so uh, the Bartle typing is a way that this guy, Dr. Joseph Bartle, came up with to say, here's what I think draws people to play this game. Um, and here's the kinds of people you can draw in with different ways and there are two axes so there's the world and there's players and there's acting versus interacting okay so if you like acting on players you're a killer you like imposing your will on other people if you like interacting with players you're a socializer which was is my number one um if you like 
acting on the world, you're an achiever, which means you really like getting stuff done. You probably love directives. And if you like interacting with the world, then you're an explorer. And you probably are looking heavily into this Esamir anomaly. Mm -hmm. So um, you said you're you're tilted towards killer. Sounds like you're tilted away from achiever. Uh, yeah. Well, I'm definitely not socializer. Definitely not um, not uh, uh, explore. Well, actually, you know, maybe maybe a little bit. But mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, primarily killer for sure. Sure. Yeah, I think for me it was socializer, like like socializer and killer. Um, and socializer and achiever, like completely diametrically like 100% and zero and then near the middle I'm about the same on exploring and explorer killer mm -hmm. um but yeah uh I get then you and you and I both don't necessarily we're not we're not driven by extrinsic extrinsic goals as much and I understand how you would feel like you said fearful of putting in too much extrinsic goal pursuit and planetside is a sandbox oriented game I get that um it's a different kind of reward to put in a um, a job for someone to do to get a thing versus to put a bastion in the game and say, here's a new toy, go make right. some stories with it. Yeah. Yeah. No. And that's, um, like a toy is, is honestly a good way to put it because like you are in the sandbox, like, and you know, if we just give you the tools, like you can kind of, you know, manipulate the, the world and, and honestly the, like all the, the players and, and then that, uh, that sandbox is kind of what creates all those stories and those experiences and makes the game what it is. So I definitely don't want to get too far away from that. I feel like that's kind of the core of, of what we have, um, the core of what pl makes Planetside special. Um, and to the progression end, I feel like um, I feel like a lot of stuff is so accessible um, once you have like this just like minimum amount of time spent in the game mm -hmm. that the rest of it kind of falls away. Right. Uh, yeah. Because really, once you have the the core class abilities progress through, mm -hmm. which don't take a huge investment of time. Um, you're in a pretty good spot to be useful. Um, I think maybe one of the exceptions there is the vehicle game, yep. which requires a bigger initial investment. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I don't know what the right answer is on that. Um, I'm curious what Chad thinks. I, I recognize that um, you don't want to, like, the classic, I think, push-pulls between sandbox and theme park, right? Mm-hmm. Where People who want a theme park game want to want to go on rides, and that's the ex complete extrinsic motive uh, motivation, and there's not as much player agency involved. And people who want a sandbox, people who want to make their own content, basically, um, probably is a is a compromise there that's best. But um, I'm really curious about. Um, I guess it sounds like what you think is that generally the more player agency type stuff is more interesting to you yeah yeah i'd say so i think that um i mean there's there's boundaries uh i think a lot of um of kind of what we learned over time just as a as a development team is uh is that the uh the path of least resistance will always be taken <laughs> And uh, and to the game's detriment, like mm -hmm. uh, the players really don't like this thing, but they keep doing it over and over and over. <laughs> just give it just, a chance. The players will optimize the fun out of a game. Exactly. That's the saying, yeah, I, I can't remember yeah. who said it, but uh, yeah, you know, and a lot of a lot of times you just got to save them for themselves. It's, uh, yeah, and yes, be really careful. Interesting uh, paradigm. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I've heard complaints from some people about um, having to hop into a max suit practically get the summer directive done that's going on in the live yeah, game right now it's like you don't need to 
do it actually <laughs> the directive yeah um but people don't think that way right they're like oh this is limited time and that, that's like we we are putting this in the game be, you know and making it limited time so that you play the game right um hopefully there's enough options there where you like don't necessarily have to do the one that you don't like but um but I, I think there's like there's that so like you know i i gotta do it because it's telling me that i have to do it or it's like i really want to do it and i want to do it quickly mm -hmm. uh, and then some things like when you look at the directives uh they weren't originally intended to be just like ground out like it was like oh you do this and then over the course of a year you're going to get this fun thing at the end mm -hmm. well you know people don't think that way though yeah they uh they you know it's like an instant gratification thing or it's just and then they'll, you know, complain. This directive takes too long to do. It's like, well, that's not the point. Mm, yeah, it's tough. Um, yeah, with 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 any kind of game, um, it's impossible to meet the demands of the most active players, right? Mm. Um, uh, you know, there are there are a lot of slayers that that I have played with and associated with, and you see people talking about arac uh, skimming, arac skimming. Oh my god, that's hard to say. Uh, a weapon in in like in like one day. And there's yeah. like, okay, this is come this day, this is come the next day, and it's like, oh my god, like, um, yeah. there are people who can really kill fast, but even if you're killing fast, that's a big job. Uh, yeah, yeah. No, and what's you... kind of interesting is that it comes at the detriment of all the other players too, because you're you're looking for the the most like optimal way to to grind these kills out, and you're just like inflicting the most insufferable experience on the people who are on the receiving end of it, uh, and a lot of times just because of how the game plays out. Uh, mm -hmm. Like they don't know any better to like leave or, or like how to counter you or just like you know how to take matters into their own hands. Um, and yeah, we we create a lot of opportunities where where our, we we let players kind of ruin the fun of other players, and uh, and that is not an easy problem to solve. How do you approach it? Um, one goal at a time, I guess. Like uh, combined arms was like an attempt at that, and obviously that didn't turn out the way that we you know had envisioned it to. Mm -hmm. Uh, so it's just like it's poking and kind of uh, yeah like you we're within a box right now and you need to kind of like you know figure out the boundaries of it and kind of like see you know how much uh, how much flex it has and uh, sometimes you you put something in and then see if players can eventually like acclimate to it mm -hmm. because you know that it'll be better in the long run even if they're complaining about it in the short term um, and then sometimes you you think you're doing that and it's not uh, it's not quite there, but uh, I think one thing to keep in mind is just that, um, like this is this is kind of uncharted territory as far as uh, a game like this goes. Like there's there's been yeah. other massively multiplayer. Yeah, who uh, do you FPS, learn from? Are there any games out there I, that you can take use from? It's yeah, I mean a lot of the lessons come from from things that aren't necessarily like you know in our domain. So like mm -hmm. uh, just watching Destiny 2's history and kind of playing through it. Uh, it's it's interesting to see like the stuff that they put in the game and kind of like tried uh and then them have to like like reel it back and integrate it in a different way um mm -hmm. and just a lot of the changes that they've made like they they're kind of um i don't want to say parallel but they they're like they're figuring out all of the problems that that we currently have uh just because they're, they're trying to make their like game as a service right um so that you know put out seasonal uh or seasons rather mm -hmm. um and uh and they bring in like different events to like you know change up the gameplay and like they they've revamped you know like the armor system to increase you know uh, longevity and like also make use of all of the resources that they had in the game uh that you kind of just like didn't need after a while uh so they've done just like a lot of changes to to mold the game and there's there's some stuff that's just like 
fell flat and they had to learn from it and like figure it out and kind of like reincorporate it in a different way. So be, just viewing the lessons of a game like that um, is is really interesting to me because I think that a lot of um, a lot of games now are if they're not going through these uh, these issues currently, like they they will be because uh, I think the games as a service is probably probably going to outlast just like kind of a, well, I, I shouldn't say that. Um, there, there will always be a place for both, but I think the games as a service will become more popular. I mean, it's already become more There's popular. There's a high demand for it. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, for sure. And it's it's also easier. Like once you create, um, when you gain a following, it's easier to retain that following than it is to to make a new title and kind of roll the dice. Uh, you've seen, like, like, we've seen games that are good, like by traditional standards that just like, you know, they have a spike, people have an interest, and then it just dies. Yeah. after that um yeah. or isn't given like enough of a shot to succeed like lawbreakers is a good example that you know conceptually mm-hmm. like very smart um art wise very well done like there's a whole lot going on for that game you know and uh, and the people behind it very experienced mm-hmm. uh but eventually just died like and died very quickly too yeah and it's like if a game like that doesn't stand a chance in this industry like there's it, to me, it represents like a shift of of a, of a way of doing things that we we're still trying to like figure out. Like, there's mm-hmm. a reason that Destiny isn't going for a Destiny three right now. Mm-hmm. Um, at least to my my knowledge, they're like you know making Destiny two better. Um, Why is that? Do you think? I just because of uh, the reason that I mentioned, but just like you know, it's it's hard to to create a uh, a new game. Um, but then, I mean, like, I, I guess, like, if anything, Destiny would probably have a, a decent calling for it. But, like, even Destiny 2, people, you know, said, why didn't you create Destiny 1 and, like, build all these features in Destiny yeah. 2? Because Destiny 2 is very similar yeah. uh, in a lot of ways. It's a very rough Destiny transition 1. for the Destiny community. Yeah, yeah. And it's, um, I feel like if, well, not that I want to get into a Planetside 3 conversation here, but I feel like there would be some similar challenges, right? Mm-hmm. Where... You can kind of. I think everybody's kind of chomping at the bit for for a Planet Side Three, but I mm-hmm. think the reason for it is because this game is so broken <laughs> that um, that there's a lot that you could change, um, like on the on the ground floor. Uh, but then you you'll have the the other audience, and it's just like you know you could just make the game better, and that's you know what we're continuing to do is, is mm-hmm. make the game better. Not that there will never be a new project, but um, but now certainly wouldn't be uh, the time for it. Do you think that development? <laughs> yeah. Just to be clear. Interesting. Do you think the games as a service can ever generate the kinds of? I mean, I guess the one. I, I really agree with what you're saying, and what I'm thinking about is the problem of how to bring, how to convince people who have seen the game before to give it another chance again in the future. Um, hmm. Like you mentioned, another game that that I've played quite a lot, of, which is Guild Wars Two, which has 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 this problem, um, where. A lot of people played the game back in 2012, 2013, and they formed an opinion about it. And that opinion's basically immutable. They're still out there. They're still looking for MMO games to play. Um, but they have, despite anything that that game has done, and it's not perfect, to be clear, to be honest, but um, I think it it struggles to convince people to be like, hey, we're, we have iterated a lot. We are basically a different game than we were five years ago. Maybe this is... It could be that this is just um, like a, um, God, I can't think of the right word for it. Maybe this is something that we as a gaming community need to learn that, and we will learn that, you know, eventually you just check in on games every five years. Because hmm. there are a lot of these games as a service games that are keep going. The oldest example I could think of, the oldest, most popular example being World of Warcraft itself, um, which is uh, 
changed tremendously. It's changed so much that they that they put out <laughs> the old thing that is n nothing at all looking like the current game, and there's right. a big audience for both. Um, yeah, I guess I'm just musing, but I really recognize the phenomenon you're describing of games as a service being something that people are really there. It's it's a growing pains time for the world of gaming. It feels like. Yeah, yeah, I, I think so too. Uh, in regards to your your uh, question though, like how do you you know get those people to take a second look? Like that's it's kind of uh, what the impetus behind escalation was. Mm -hmm. It's like, well, we know that we've had you know however many you know incredible amount of players uh, play this game at some point, and they all left for some reason. Um, so we decided to to target very heavily you know outfit leaders and um, uh, just like kind of you know the old G planetside players who are. Uh, who are kind of interested in, you know, just kind of the sort of um, the craziness that, that makes the game the game. And really what it, it does for us is just it gives us a, a flagship, so to speak, um, to, to bring those players back, right? And then a lot of marketing was thrown behind it and a lot of uh, uh, there's hype, you know, leading up to it. And, and that's all good, but you only get so many of those <laughs> and, yeah. uh, and only so often. So, so we need to definitely see you know, what, like, kind of optimize our efforts with bringing people back. Like, whenever we do marketing, uh, like, we, we know that we'll always bring people into the game, but then, like, retaining them. It's a problem, as we've mentioned. Mm -hmm. uh, and then, as far as the, the winbacks for the, the players who, who've lapsed, uh, yeah, it, I mean, it's, it's been a good, you know, almost eight years now since the game launched. So, yeah. so who knows when we'll be able to get, you know, one of those uh, again. So, every, every uh, update is is about um not only you know bringing people back uh but, but keeping them and uh i think that's it's probably it's probably about the best you can do until you find those really like good pivotal moments to to put something crazy um mm -hmm. into the world and, and kind of bring them back yeah and as far as that problem goes of attracting people back i don't know i i don't know if planet side could have done any better than how you guys did with Escalation, with that suite of things that you introduced at the, all, all at once and all coming through, honestly, pretty cleanly. Um, in the scheme of things, yeah. <laughs> I mean, we've seen some really hairy stuff. You talked about the X11 yeah. compared to that. Yeah. Um, how, was this just a, the way it came through so cleanly, was this just an indication of how experienced this team is? I, I think, yeah, no, in, in no small part. Um, uh, and then a lot of, Honestly, like we have more QA resources, and we we gave it the the appropriate amount of time. Mm -hmm. uh, like we pushed it back, I think twice um, at least. Uh, and the community was behind it. They're like, "Wow, you guys are doing something really cool right now." You know, just take take the time, take yeah. the time, fix it. You know, and uh, and that's 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 important. You know, a lot of times you don't have the luxury of uh, of time, you know, to to work on an update um, like that, but. Uh, but we figured that, you know, if it's not good, then then we're just like, you know, shoving more, you know, crap into the world. So, and it's not going to do like what we want it to, right? We have a mm -hmm. specific goal that we want to hit with that update. So, uh, in order to do that, we have to we have to take our time. Yeah, and whenever an update like this hits hits a, hits a game, there's a ton of things you have to navigate, um, deadlines you have to push against, pressure from different stakeholders to have it come in a certain way at a certain time to line up with certain other things. Um, it's complicated. I get that. Um, one aspect of the update 
still has me wondering, though, and I don't know how much you can tell me about this, but, um, like, I look back at some of the other big updates in PlanetSide's history, um, and looking at this one, there's one enormous difference that I can see, and maybe I missed it, but I don't think any of this is monetized. Yeah, yeah, no, um, so we, we figured that, uh, there, there's definitely a lot of talk to, about monetization. You have to have that discussion, that, you know, with, with every update, because you don't want to, you don't want to, like, leave money on the table. Yeah. Right, is the, I, I really don't like that expression for some reason. But, but you got to um, support the game and give it a chance to grow where it can. As, if you yeah. make something great, absolutely. So with our, our target, though, um, we were planning to bring back, you know, enough old numbers to, to where, like, a lot of the stuff that we had done for the past, you know, however many years is going to be new to them. And so mm. they'd have plenty to invest in and that sort of thing. Uh, there was a conversation um, about monetizing uh, the war asset system. Mm -hmm. And that's where actually the, the overclock button is kind of mm -hmm. um, plays in. So like you would, uh, like we were, you know, talking about uh, there being like resource boosts that you'd get, you know, and it just like, it, it didn't make sense. And it also wouldn't feel good. Like it was kind of, you know, contrary to, to the gameplay that we wanted to create and, and everything else. Unfortunately, like we have a, a team that is rational <laughs> um, and we, we weren't under like under, any crazy uh, pressure, um, uh, as, as had you know been in the past in various various times, um, where we had to make a decision like that. So, so you know, it was just better for us to to not um, not deal with it. Like we we did merit boosts, mm -hmm. right? So if people yep. want to create the stuff, but like the merit stuff is it's not like super. Uh, I don't know. It's just like a like another you know portion of progression and. Yeah, it's just um, a, a fast forward button and it's not for even yeah. arguably the most important parts i mean right right like it's, you can it's hit the goals without it yeah. yeah for sure and i also noticed that there were i think there were a few bundles that went on went back into the the store at the same oh, yeah. time escalation came out which yeah for sure totally makes sense that stuff yeah yeah it, it makes sense to you know package that stuff um whenever we can like i mean you're bringing a bunch of people back you want them to have something to buy but then also for the, the current members who you know maybe haven't left the game they enjoy buying buying new stuff too so mm -hmm. yeah absolutely yeah I, I bought in actually um i said this before but Thank you. <laughs> i yeah absolutely i like supporting the games that i like like i actually take pleasure in it and i'm not not everyone's in the same position i am you know i, I work a nine to five and i play when i'm not so um i'm able to to support a game i'm able to drop money on on a bundle um not only does it not only does it enhance my enjoyment of the game because um i'm i'm you know it's, it's literally more stuff more goodies faster progression all that stuff is obvious on the surface but to me it just feels good to support the game and yeah. i'll even like stay subscribed at times when i'm not playing actively for that reason um it, it kind of makes me think of uh, actually the, the model of, of something like twitch where yeah. The, yeah. the content is there for you and when you jump in and say i want to buy a subscription or I want to, uh, I want to put money in. You're not doing it because you're necessarily because you're getting something back, but because you want to be a part of it. Yeah. It's, uh, it's kind of an interesting time that we live in, um, where like, uh, honestly, so long as you have, you know, uh, quantity and then people who are interested in, you know, what you're doing, like the amount of money, like you're not max, you're not trying to maximize profits, right? Mm -hmm. Like that's, it's kind of, contrary to the point of you know of you know running your channel or or whatever else it's like if you believe in what i'm doing mm -hmm. um then 
then feel free to to donate. And hopefully yeah. you have, you know, a large enough and dedicated enough following to where that sustains you. And that's, um, to me, it feels really clean. Uh, regarding the Twitch stuff, I just don't like advertisements, so I pay for it. Oh, yeah. Amen, brother. <laughs> and YouTube, too. That's kill but, me. Uh, but yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Um, I got into a place, you know, I, I was in college in the early 2000s. And uh, I basically stopped watching TV. I didn't have a TV for many, many years. Um, this is before streaming services were a thing. But whenever I wanted to watch something, I just tore in it. Um, unashamed pirate, not so much anymore because it's so easy to not pirate. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> now whenever I'm forced to watch an ad, I always feel so violated. So, yeah, no, I feel like I have to take a shower after watching an ad. That's <laughs> oh, weird. Have you, have you been following this, this new story about, um, EA introducing, um, at advertisements during the, uh, uh, as a test during some of their sports games that are coming out? Oh, really? No. no Can you believe that? Sounds like a very EA thing to do. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. It's such a, it's such a punchline. Um, but yeah, apparently uh, they ran some kind of a pilot program. I don't know all the details. Maybe someone in chat does. Uh, but basically, um, you know, uh, for, for a UFC game, uh, they would run advertisements so people were playing their game to see people tolerated it. And, you know, apparently, um, apparently they did. <laughs> We just, I don't know. <laughs> we, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it, it, like, it ain't me. Like I hate advertisements, but I also like playing the game. <laughs> it's like it's hard to uh, to take a stand sometimes, like because yeah. it, it doesn't feel like like you're necessarily getting heard, you know, either when you rebel against you know something that you don't like. So like uh, loot boxes and microtransactions is a good example. Mm. Uh, it only got to like like a point where we were able to talk about it because. Uh, because of the, the battlefield, you know, controversy or uh, battlefield, um, uh, Star Battlefront, Wars, Star Wars Battlefront, yeah, yeah, because of that that controversy, right? And they went that controversy wouldn't have been a thing, because uh, this was this happens all the time. Like what EA did was not necessarily worse than what a lot of other people have done, mm -hmm. uh, but because they have this really recognizable IP, because they have this massive, massive following, um, there are like enough voices. To where like it can it can really mm -hmm. kind of like tip the scales and start this um this conversation yeah it's that, a really that, publicly that, uh, bungled the response too yeah yeah i mean that never helps <laughs> but yeah but uh yeah so like and if they're just running you know like a little test group or or whatever yeah i, I don't know how, how small it could be thousands of participants uh, so far as i know but hey, but it, like i could totally see it you know people like kind of like suffering through it and then management's like well you know they didn't leave <laughs> so this must be a thing that's okay yeah it seems yeah. like the effects of those aren't immediate um yeah actually in fact uh in the chat just brought up a really relevant anecdote uh back in the day planet side one in the sanctuaries for that game there was a time where they actually there were actually tv ads playing in the sanctuary yeah yeah i know there was at least a fanta ad right <laughs> i remember that uh yeah I wonder what else there was. Maybe McDonald's? Yeah, I don't know. Good times. Good times for the few of us yeah. who remember those days. Um, okay. Um, well, man, well, we've been down a lot of ground here. Um, there's more stuff on my my list, but I think we probably go for three more hours. Well, uh, what, what you got left? Um, okay. Well, I got another have, controversy. Have we completed my story? Uh, well, okay. So, okay. Yeah, yeah. Let's, let's talk about that. So, um, the story... Is is you're the lead game designer now of uh you know this amazing new studio, birth from the old one, Rogue Planet Games, mm -hmm. and you've just released 
escalation a critically well-received expansion that succeed i think has succeeded in bringing back a lot of players i've been watching steam charts i'm not sure how accurate it is but i looked at some of the old trends and i see things like like construction and other things like that where the player base is the same two months after that it was two months before right i'm not seeing that now it seems like we are seeing a semi-permanent increase in players is that accurate yeah uh definitely the better um I honestly don't know what the, the numbers are off the top of my head, mm-hmm. but uh, and a lot of people are kind of chalking some of that stuff up to COVID too. And honestly, it's yeah, I think it's it, it certainly doesn't hurt us. Um, but I I think that using COVID as a cop out is kind of um, uh, it's it's an excuse um, that kind of demeans the uh, the efforts of, of the update. But um, hmm. the I I think that uh, there's probably like enough in game and based on the the target um targets that we're going for where we brought back like enough of the right people uh who are more interested in sticking around for for a longer uh period of time mm-hmm. so and then then like also it's just uh we need to to constantly be doing you know really interesting things moving forward uh personally i meant uh, i measure success based on like motivate or motivation based on momentum so mm-hmm. provided we can like maintain this momentum um then hopefully we'll get to to a good spot where we can you know start to increase populations over time. That's my wild dream. Um, it seems to be a big through line for you. It it, it really is, yeah. Because it's something, and yeah, I mean not to go back, but like that's where a lot of the frustration um, came from. Like on the 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 smaller team is just like I really wanted to fix the game, but uh, it just wasn't enough you know time or hands yeah to to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, so like maybe maybe there's an opportunity now, uh, but realistically, like when it comes down to it, like very rarely do games reverse um, course. Mm-hmm. So, uh, the, the like the the only thing that we can do is kind of like keep keep on keeping on because like we have something special here. Obviously, there is there's a desire for it. Um, we are like pioneering this genre, so there's a lot of exploring left to do, and um, you know, like all these lessons will like undoubtedly be able to to translate into to future projects as well so yeah so i mean it's, it's all good Just, yeah. exploring a brave new world of planet side mmo fps well one thing that is obvious to me is how successful you guys have been and when i say you guys i mean your rpg mm. in keeping people looking to the next update in never letting people kind of get into a cycle where a big push was was made to get something into the game and then it's just like balance updates for months right yeah you know i feel like we we're pretty good about doing that on the old team too um like balancing between holidays and the just like okay. kind of what was what was going on so i i feel like honestly i feel like it kind of remains to be seen i don't, I don't want to like you know um shoot myself in the foot mm-hmm. but uh yeah yeah like um because the like the tactical loadout update that we did, honestly, it was just um, just kind of like an interim thing, um, and I, I think that's probably way less polished than it probably should have been. But and then uh, this campaigns update, which is like, you know, kind of kind of the big one that we're we're moving into, is uh, you know, it's taking a little bit longer than anticipated, and just we like we had to put out a summer thing. Um, I say had to, but like the community wanted it, so people love events. So it, yeah, so it made sense to do it. I. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, so so got that going kind of just like as an interim update as well. But realistically, like we had kind of wanted our our missions and campaigns update to be to be out uh, 
already. Um, mm. I, I think that was the original plan, but okay. uh, you know, we're still still working with it, and there's still mm -hmm. honestly a lot of work left to do. Mm -hmm. So, uh, so hopefully, it's like it's big enough to to warrant kind of the uh, the I don't know the the follow through. Well, I guess we did the, Col the Colossus update too. Yeah, but, uh, meh. It's big tank. <laughs> yeah. Whatever. New toy. Yeah, no, and that was just another interim thing. Mm -hmm. I think we'll be hitting like these different um, kind of scale updates. It doesn't make sense for us to do like an, an escalation size thing, you know, repeatedly or like even ever, maybe. Yeah, mm. who knows? But uh, but certainly like we want to vary the scale of uh, of these updates and kind of like be working on something bigger while we you know push out these these little bite sized uh, updates yeah. to kind of keep people satiated. How often how often would you like to bring new things into the game? I think once a month. Okay. That would be my preferred cadence, but it it also has to be done with. So you almost want two different teams to work on it, um, and for that we we certainly don't have enough um, enough hands. Like even even still, mm -hmm. uh, like you have a, a team that is working on the live game and is, is focused on on that end of things, uh, and then you have a team who's kind of like working in the background on on some of the the longer pull projects. Uh, that'd be the ideal. I totally can't work out that way. Um, yeah, just given the the team size, but um, mm -hmm. yeah, I've seen other live services games where they like rotate multiple teams, and they have things come out. Like uh, I think Guild Wars Two for a while had three different teams working on what they were calling their living world model, or they mm. would put out a new major story release with you know new dungeons and stuff every two or three months, and that would be the 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 product of like six to nine months of work from one team because they had three teams going and they could release these things every three months that that's the kind of thing you're yeah yeah that's yeah. what i'm referring to mm -hmm. something along those lines that would be cool I yeah what... <laughs> i know right right i mean if if plan side was got to a spot where you were introducing say colossus size updates once a month i don't mean colossal updates i mean like like iterating right. on the sandbox to that level yeah yeah be very cool and um yeah i think one, one of the things i'm really interested in that i i see i think i see happening and we kind of alluded to this a little bit back, is um, the gameplay loop. Um, two things you mentioned to me. That, um, one is uh, the idea of having Sanctuary be kind of uh, a pacing mechanism in a gameplay loop, mm -hmm. um, which I really like. The idea of having a town with town services for a very MMO thing that works to staple. And um, you also mentioned the, the idea of uh, events happening that were tied to the mission system. You mentioned a drill. Or some kind of a drill event or something like mm -hmm. that. Um, when Commander Sirius and I were talking a couple weeks back, um, one of the things we just, you know, kind of dreamed about was what it would be like to have Sanctuary be a really effective social hub. And like maybe maybe you even go to Sanctuary to pick up your missions. You go out with your your platoon, your group, your squad, whatever. You go get something done. It's easy, it's hard, whatever. And then you come back and, you know, maybe that's not exactly what it looks like, but having like this kind of place where you like, like an inn where you come back to and you just talk or you can socialize a little bit. And, um, that might not attract everyone who plays planet side, but it might pull at the strings of people who might otherwise not want to stick around. Um, is that the kind of thing that you would hope to have more of in the future or am I just off in la la land? No, no, for, for that, um, that specific example there. So we have, uh, we'll, we'll reveal more about this later. And I, th I can't remember to the extent of which we talked about it on the last stream, but um, so like a, a campaign is going to have different chapters and these, these chapter missions are 
it's it's very like like you go out you do a thing and then you come back and then you know back to to sanctuary and that progresses like the story and and whatever else story Um, yeah baby yeah i love Araxis lore so if just to, to tamper expectations here like if we don't hit it the first time around like things will get better over time <laughs> okay okay um, i think campaigns in general are a good excuse for us to like you know shake up the uh shake up the environment uh, and definitely do the the storytelling obviously kind of infuse uh, more lore into the game shake but, up the um, environment that, that excites some people <laughs> yeah mm-hmm. those words are very specific uh but the yeah so but at the same time the the missions are going to be more like freeform like you go into the ui you just pick all the missions and then you you go and you participate in them, uh, kind of similar to to directives in a way. Um, and I, I think that creating the balance there between like like we don't necessarily want to force people to to go to sanctuary because they haven't really been accustomed to that playstyle, um, you know, for the past eight years. And because of the pace of the game, um, it is kind of it's a little bit contrary to to what we um, to what we want that flow to be. But I'm at the same time, for camp- too. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. It's, it's a really good point. Um, and for uh, for campaigns and in, uh, in particular, though, it is it's more finite the the things that you're doing. So to us, it makes sense to you know bring you back and kind of do that storytelling in in the social space for it. So uh, definitely a balance, I think, with with everything um, as we kind of uh, explore the the boundaries here. Word. Word. Okay. How important is it for you to? bring people to sanctuary um i i think it should always be optional uh or i, I shouldn't say always be optional because uh, we obviously want you to do some things there but uh i think the in in kind of a, a drop-in casual shooter experience i don't think it should be necessary mm. um, i do think that it should be uh an experience that you want to participate in but at the same time you know may not appeal to everybody mm-hmm. so uh just uh, trying to keep those those two spheres in mind is um, is important, um, but it, we definitely want it to be part of the the cycle as far as like what you um, like again the, the starting in sanctuary and the ending in sanctuary. I think that those are good like entry and exit points to like you're not dropping in the middle of warp gate. There's an alert going on. You're like you also have to like you know feel like you should be doing something or the opposite at, uh, end of the spectrum like taking away from like a slot where if you're just like screwing around you know somebody else could like yeah could be there for the in the work gate when the continent's full mm-hmm. right yeah so like stuff like that um yeah we'll, we'll have to see like there definitely needs to be more to sanctuary even after this next update i think mm-hmm. that there still needs to be more um sanctuary mm-hmm. uh i have personal goal that nobody knows about yet uh i totally mm-hmm. want a dating simulator for uh for february next year <laughs> <laughs> so it for totally the, will not happen. For um, the Valentine's I mean, event? It might. It, who knows? Yes. A dating yeah. simulator. Yeah, like, yeah. It's like a... Like a... You know, for, for Valentine's Day. Uh, <laughs> but we just make it a permanent thing. Maybe. I don't know. I, no, and my mind is going wild with possibilities. <laughs> Could be more like... Um, you, you play Hades at all? I'm familiar with it. Okay. Super great game. Uh, if, if you even remotely enjoy roguelites or mm-hmm. roguelikes... Uh, yeah, definitely give it a shot. Perfect storytelling and the gameplay, outstanding. Super giant games, all this stuff is good. Yeah. Um, but uh, you, basically, the the progression in that game revolves around uh, having interactions with different people, and you're like giving them gifts, and it's like progressing. Like they're, you know, uh, for some people it's like a love interest thing, and for some people it's more like a respect thing, and you're creating uh-huh. like 
bonds with people. Uh, so like as an easy way, like you could go that direction um, or you can make it uh, an idle click simulator um, for anybody who plays uh, Crush Crush. Yeah, if you don't know what that is, neither do I. <laughs> <laughs> I like the idea uh, of gifts. I think that's got potential. Yeah. I mean, maybe maybe there's a maybe it's even a currency of some kind, like a hearts currency, and you can just yeah. cho choose who to bring your hearts back to at the end of a sure. at the end of a continent alert. Could uh could bring back some of that uh, spitty baby <laughs> fanfic. Um, <laughs> yeah, kind of give that some canonical lore. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I think that's got legs, man. I I think so too. Yeah, <laughs> I think so. Yeah, I mean, and look, I, I was gonna before you brought that uh, that amazing anecdote up. Uh, the idea up. I was gonna say that, like, um, I, I really hear what you're saying about not not screwing too much with with the drop in, kill some mm -hmm. stuff, drop out thing with planet side. Um, but I, speaking personally, and I'm not sure how many people I speak for, I like a little bit of friction. I don't mind waiting to get into the thing if the thing itself is bigger. And I'm I'm and, and again, is that that MMO kind of interest. That maybe not everyone in planet side is into and respect that um but yeah. i love the idea of more stuff being a sanctuary i wouldn't even mind if there was more stuff that was gated by sanctuary like what if you couldn't interact with directives unless you were in sanctuary and it'd be a pain in the ass but it's kind of an out there idea like example of um it wouldn't bother me at all if i had to go to an npc or a console in sanctuary to interact with the mission system and maybe you, maybe you only work on one mission at a time when you're on a continent i don't know it probably has chasing potential point is you know uh you're the developer i i tell you what i like and, and you figure out how to do it right uh <laughs> but I'm, exactly. I'm i'm just saying like i think sanctuary is something that you that can be built out in a way that creates a part of planet side that to me has never really been as real as i wanted it to be yeah yeah no i i, I completely agree with that um and definitely like that those conversations come up like especially when like should you buy all your weapons at a vendor? You know, it would certainly declutter the UI, which we have a constant, you know, present concern about. Mm -hmm. uh, but at the same time, it's like people tend to buy their weapons from the from the UI, not from the depot. Um, mm -hmm. uh, just because like the the conveniences there, and for people who are like um, who already are knowledgeable of the game, like it's not an overwhelming amount of information. But like, but there's potentially benefits. Like if we did, you know, move it off somewhere else. Uh, where people, like, for example, like maybe new players uh, aren't, like they don't have to worry about, you know, you know, focusing on you know, spending their certs on a weapon. Like if it's kind of not, not gated necessarily, but mm -hmm. if there is more friction, you know, there, there's a lot of considerations like that where I think we just need to be smart about like which routes we decide to go down and right. then also be content to like, you know, take it a step back if it seems like it's not within the best interest of the game as a whole. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but you know, this is like moving more toward like an MMO direction is the direction that we're going right now. So, so there's a lot of a lot of potential for for change, you know, to that end. Mm -hmm. I like the sound of that. And you know, um, hearing you talk about uh, kind of testing ideas with the game, like turning off the tutorial during escalation, um, mm -hmm. it, it seems clear that there would be opportunity to test out some of these ideas of will people go to sanctuary. For this thing if they kind of have to or really just ignore it altogether and you can pick and choose how to yeah. where to apply the friction right oh yeah for sure cool okay well um i probably am about done uh with fanboying out over sanctuary 
um, send your your fanfics of uh, your Vanu fanfics straight to me. Um, <laughs> you can contact one of my Twitch mods if you don't, don't know how to get a hold of me. And uh, yeah, I love that stuff. Um, and uh, but let's maybe lift it back a little bit. Planet Side's a big game. Lots of things to talk about. Let's, let's lift it back a little bit though. I feel like we're mostly caught up with the story of Rel. You're here in, in the lead game designer's shoes. Um, I guess if there's anything else to go to explore, and you can suggest something, of course, but um, it would be what's next. Um, we talked a bit about which way the plant side is going, but do you want to talk at all about where you see your career going or what your ambitions are? You did talk about how you wanted to actually, you know, uh, make a game at some point. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I don't really want to uh, talk about myself forever, but uh, but yeah, I mean, your name's on the interview, games. so you think you can get away with it? Yeah, yeah. Um, I think one of my one of my goals, my my dream, my my real only dream, honestly, is uh, is to make a game. So, you know, whether that is a, um, you know, whether it's it's Planet Side Three, which uh, I think I think every designer on the team has a design document for planet side three i think you're right <laughs> so it's yeah it's just like a thing that's uh you like a, of course you want to work on a new game like who wouldn't want to work on a new game one of the, um, the the questions i've written down here is what's the first word that comes to your mind when i say planet side three meh oh <laughs> and the thing <laughs> is that and there's so to uh to kind of bring that around um the thing is that uh there's a lot that we could do um and i, I I certainly have design documents for a Planet Side 3 and all the other designers have, you know, their visions of, of what a Planet Side 3 could mean. Um, I think that if we were to do, like, I feel like it could even be a new IP. Like, that's kind of the, the direction that I would like to see. But at the same time, you risk ticking off the, the Planet Side 2 community that, that like, would want a Planet Side 3, right? Mm -hmm. And I certainly want a Planet Side 3. I would like to erase all the mistakes of the past and kind of, like, start fresh, you know, obviously. Um, but uh, I, I feel like it would be really cool to to work on something that that wasn't that too. Um, is that is that like a like just a creative interest thing? I mean, I think it's important people who are creative to work on different things and to iterate over time. You look at like like I know like when I was younger, I had my favorite bands right, and they put on an album that I just I loved, and I'd always get frustrated when they put another album. And they're like, oh well, you know, we're changing creatively. And they just they mm. didn't just make another version of the thing that I really loved. That always right. annoyed me. Over yeah. the years, I eventually realized, oh, well, that's what people do. Mm -hmm. Creators especially. Is that kind of the instinct that you're describing? It's yeah. No, I mean it's I, I don't I don't want to even call it an instinct. Like I have you know, like journals of, of game ideas and everything, and like and I I can, you know, choose one from a hat and say like, like, oh, this would be fun to make. Um but at the same time, like uh, like Planet Side Three is fine. Like it's, it's established IP. Um, like I, I have no qualms to, um, to to make it. And in fact, I, I certainly would would love to to, to make Planet Side Three. I've you know pushed my game design documents in front of uh, many a uh, yeah studio uh, goer. But um, what I, what I would really like to see is something to like kind of in the same sphere, but would be more more extreme, especially when it comes to the asymmetry. Mm. Uh, I would really love, um, not that I'm pitching myself at Bioware, but I would really love to make like a Planet Side 3 or Planet Side 2 style game, but like in the Mass Effect universe. I think that'd be like oh. so interesting. Or even like a like a universe of StarCraft. They might be working on it now. I hope they are. Um, mm -hmm. 
but uh yeah like that yeah, sort starcraft of oh. being three factions tons of asymmetry yeah. it's like there's yeah. there's an obvious connection there it, it excites me so much that even Ooh. like something like that could even exist uh and that's that's what what gets me going is just like like what can you do this like really um like that defies expectations you know that is this ambitious and grand and and awesome uh because like the formulaic nonsense i mean you know i'm sure assassin's creed games are good but like you know i don't want to make another one of those um or just like you know any, i'm making sure the people game, work like... on assassin's creed want to make another one of them <laughs> i'm sure yeah 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 um it's yeah I, I just i just really like uh being able to to let my mind run and and do just like really you know creative stuff so so like yeah, it, it could be it could be anything. Like I'm not a, not opposed to anything. Mm -hmm. um, but I I only say meh to, to Planet Side Three because there's a lot of potential for for anything. Like the sky's the limit, you know. Mm -hmm. Especially Why like we have technology that right yeah yeah like we we have technology that people aren't replicating right now, right? Mm -hmm. Like we have a game that is able to support the stuff and like you know Fortnite is getting up there, but it's not you know insane. Call of Duty's getting up there, but it's not insane. Mm -hmm. And and we just have this 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 amazing. Um, you know, as much as people complain about the engine, like we're s still doing something that what it does is, is doing, insane. Right? Yeah. It is so far above, of far above what any other game is trying to do. Um, yeah. The fact that I mean, you know, it, one of the easy things to complain about in Planet Side is client side interactions, um, and there are some games that make them cleaner, but those are games that have twelve people in a game. Yeah, I, yeah. The, the fact that you can increase the number of people a hundredfold. And only lose that as much fidelity is actually being lost is a technological feat, and um, you need to have a little bit of I think nuance to understand that. But it's extremely important to keep in perspective when thinking about what Planet Side Two has achieved. I think. Um, yeah. And your comment about um, other things that are out there, uh, other things to explore, uh, games to, to try to make. Um, what what games are out there right now that are kind of inspiring you, or what are you playing? Uh, let's see. Jesus, what am I playing? I started um, playing StarCraft 2 again. Uh, I'm awful at it, as I've always been awful at RTS games. <laughs> but uh, but I'm trying to learn a new skill set, and um, and learning to micro is uh, is one. Um, I let's see. Was waiting on a big Hades update uh, to come out. Played that. Um, mm -hmm. uh, Deep Rock Galactic. Um, Deep Rock is raise a is mug just, to that. It, yeah, <laughs> right. It's it's an amazing game. Uh, those guys are killing it. Uh, Planet Set 2, obviously. Um, so about got back those... Into, to, oh, mm. go ahead. No, 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 please. I got back into Destiny 2, um, and a lot of that was, you know, like, they're they're doing stuff. And I, I think that any game that I play um, is, like, it's not mind-numbing to me. Like, it's not just, like, you sit down and you do it. It's, like, I I always take away, like, the lessons. Um, mm -hmm. And that's, that's kind of the way that I've, I've always been. Um and and so the the things that engage me are are usually the ones that um, that have some some deeper uh, interest for for me as a designer. Mm -hmm. So like a game like let's say Destiny, mm -hmm. what what kind of deeper interest? I mean, you talked previously about the uh, the uh, the update cadence and the the perils of maintaining a, a live services that game. Is that mm -hmm. how you approach Destiny, or are there other things there that grab you? No, I, those are those are two. Um, those are some things that stand out, but the kind of the way that i would see um uh destiny's core loop is, is kind of it's kind of similar to what we're going for right i mean like you have the tower 
and you go back there and you get your missions and you, you know, do your yada 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 um and then you go into the game and complete the stuff and then you come back uh and that's i think the the role the sanctuary fills and like getting that to to feel good um is important uh like there's there's stuff with just like the spacing of their npcs and like um just mm-hmm. the, the clever stuff that they're doing where they're like you know hiding people uh in in certain places so you don't have to, to load everything i mean that's just like games and tricks but um yeah just like a, like a lot of little stuff that that i pick up on but i think that that if you were looking at a you know maybe like a planet side three for example i think that one of the the games that you'd probably draw the most parallels to is a game like like destiny 2 mm-hmm. um i mean different you know completely different uh uh visuals obviously and like it, it wouldn't be like super instance and that sort yeah. of thing you'd still want to retain that pve sort of... which is untrod ground for planet side uh, uh yeah i mean pve is it's kind of something that you'd i think you'd want in um in even like in, in planet side 2 in small doses mostly for like tutorials and that sort of mm-hmm. thing and uh just like little side side missions and stuff for for storytelling but um but uh even for a planet side 3 i think it'd be probably primarily um pvp centric because uh, the, the thing about so what's I think what's interesting about um, a game like this is that if you had PVE, people would probably only play the PVE. Uh, that's at least my, my opinion on it. Uh, it's a, same thing with like a instance combat. Like if you were to add you know smaller scale instance to, and the or instances where people can kind of like go off and do their their stuff in a more controlled space, I bet you anything. That people would gravitate towards that to the point where it kills the sandbox mm-hmm. and then kind of you know marginalizes what uh planet side 2 was really about in the first place mm-hmm. and um so this is more like the the protecting players from themselves sort of thing uh because quite frankly like a more session based you know planet side 2 with uh with more balanced elements and sort of like a battlefield uh you know match based game like it honestly it'd probably be more fun um hmm. in in a lot of ways uh, I, I don't want to say uh, more fun is probably not the, the right thing, but um, I think it'd be more fun to more players. Be more uh, accessible. Certainly. Yeah. Well, I, uh, yeah, yeah. As far as like a, a learning curve, I guess. Um, yeah. And then, then you could have things like matchmaking. Yep. And things like, like restricted vehicle use and, and that sort of thing. Like mm. it, it's not like, you know, you're fighting in your own little sphere on, on one side of the map and then, you know, Hey, maybe a platoon of people, you know, drop on the side, <laughs> side of the map or whatever. And then you're fighting kind of like, a 70 30 battle yeah. right yeah or i mean worse. that that to me that idea of an instance fight at a base is is like that is the theme park planet side yeah uh yeah yeah um i i think that the the feeling of being able to go anywhere kind of mm-hmm. contributes to the uh the i mean that's what creates the sandbox right yeah is, is just being able to go anywhere and even in those those small like you know, you're, you're at a base and this is like what you're doing for now, like eventually that disperses mm-hmm. and then it naturally like, you know, redistributes and, and kind of like moves on to the next point. And I think that the organic nature of, of the sort of, um, you know, point to point combat is, is another standout feature of the game that it's, I think would be hard to, to replicate. Um, mm-hmm. yeah. And, and more like instance based stuff in a more small scale. Yeah. 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 Okay. So Destiny, um, what about these other couple of games you mentioned? How how are they? Um, what kind of lessons are you learning from, say, uh, like Deep Rock? Deep Rock. <laughs> yeah. I want to talk about Deep Rock. I love that game. I, I, yeah. No, it's. Um, I I think that the even though it's a four player co op game, 
they they nail like what roles mean mm-hmm. um to, like more so than any game that i've seen and they do yes. it in a way that's really interesting because of the all the environment manipulation uh and it's like like it's dark you need somebody with flares you know everybody has their limited usage but like mm-hmm. everybody can also mine too but like the driller is able to to move through you know like like create shortcuts that are just like way more efficient and mm-hmm. you know everything else um and at the same time like each class feels good to play like it's not just um maybe like you know in uh in team fortress i guess uh like the medic who has to be glued to a, a heavy right at least you could tell me if i'm if i'm wrong i'm just kind of totally making that assumption based anyway, on for, you know, for what TF2, the, yeah i mean it is a more passive role or think about like like a healer in overwatch or something like that yeah um, yeah there really aren't there aren't any passive roles in deep rock yeah no i mean and and that's it's one of those things where like even if you like a certain class like you're content to play other classes because they they can all kill stuff and they all have like a really unique uh interesting uh gameplay elements mm-hmm. and then there's you know the, the progression like i haven't even gotten to the like the overclocks yet okay um there's some fun there yeah yeah and it's just like they they add a bunch of stuff um but it's it's done in such a way where it's um like you choose you know what you're you're working on right and then you do the missions and then you get the thing and i think that progression is really interesting from a, a design perspective because they they're not just like saying like, okay, you get to do everything, right? Like it's gated behind certain prestige requirements and, and that sort of thing for like, you know, the, the deep dives and that sort of thing. Um, I'm saying that sort of thing a whole lot, but there is a lot of interesting mechanics that they take advantage of uh, that is kind of just like interlaced throughout the the game as a whole. Even mm-hmm. the, the small like social stuff where it's just like, you know, if you're yes. buying a, if you're buying a mug of beer, like it buys it for all of your team, which is, like that little, mm-hmm. little tidbit is cool because, like, of course, you know, somebody's gonna go up and you know drink their, drink their beer and everything else, and you know maybe you, you dance because it exists or you know kick. I love the, the dancing. Thing into the barrel. The music or, too. Or it's it surprisingly slaps. They <laughs> <laughs> they got a lot going on and it's like very small, confined space. And like when you when you look at uh, sanctuary, just like social spaces in general, you have to look at those sorts of things and say like. Like okay, how do you make these interactions feel natural? Like that. How, mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, yeah. There's just a, a whole lot of good going on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so for those out of the loop, Deep Rock Galactic is a four-player co-op um, shooter where you play as a dwarf, and your job is to mine minerals for an oppressive corporation. Your home base is a space rig. It's a space station in space, and it is um, half alienating and half completely charming. Um, before you go on a mission, you you take your mission consumable, which is a beer that has a funny effect on you, and you dance, and you scream rock and stone at each other, which is the, <laughs> the, the one emo in the game that somehow confers so much meaning. Yeah. Uh, oh, man, the Discord. Like, people, that's it's like a, it's a motto, right? Yeah. Yeah. And uh, uh, someone in chat is asking where the space station in Deep Rock is. It's orbiting over Hoxes 4, uh, which is the planet you mine. And uh, you play as one of four dwarves, and they're oozing with personality, like mm-hmm. um, kind of hero style. But at the same time, like there's not a ton of focus on like there's no backstory, there's no like explicit lore. It's kind of just like here's the situation. We're gonna make you believe it's real, and we're gonna give you some fun stuff to do. And um, you called out the class balance, so the classes in Deep Rock. Um, basically it revolve around two things. One is killing bugs, which stop you from mining things. And the other one is mobility, 
which is the ability to navigate around these these randomly generated, completely destructible environments. And the way those four classes achieve that is really just really fun. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm hearing uh, a language between the space rig and sanctuary, an obvious comparison to make. How do you make people want to be in sanctuary the same way people want to slap the leprechaun at the bar in Deep Rock? Is that a thing? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I think it's relatively new. Uh, I might be wrong, but uh, next to the beers. If you haven't tried it, man, you're missing out. <laughs> yeah, I'll have to try it. <laughs> um, and, of course, the, the progression. Although Deep Rock, not even despite the fact that it has overclocks, there's only like 100 of them. It's not a game that's designed to be played forever, or at least as long as Planetside. Yeah, yeah. I, I was kind of curious about that, but I haven't gotten there yet. Yeah. Um, Do you ever get exhausted about comparing games to Planetside? Uh, I think that due to the nature... Uh, of planets I too there's a lot of ways to create you know comparisons yeah um, what i do get tired of is people calling it halo <laughs> what <laughs> exactly that's what i say to anybody who doesn't know how to play or like who doesn't play games like they're they're, oh, they're no. a gamer but they're like, they're not really it's <laughs> like oh it's like halo no oh, oh he's playing no! Halo, not like halo. <laughs> <laughs> but uh yeah i had no idea but it's in space. Oh, you have guns? Got tr <laughs> <that> trucks. <laughs> right. Must be Halo. Master Chief himself reporting in. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, I thought it was really, it's really, I'm really glad you mentioned one other thing too about how um, when you're playing these games, you're not just doing them to, to numb yourself. I can't remember the exact phrase you used. Um, but you you you're you're playing them and you're looking for things and you're you're pulling things out of them and you're exploring different things that interest you about them and you're taking that back and I think implicitly you're you're applying them to planet side and your own work and interests. Um, I think that's really a really good thing to talk about. Um, there's another kind of major gaming controversy going on right now. Uh, the world's most popular podcaster, Joe Rogan, is getting. Uh, there's a ton of air going on right now because he uh, made some comments about the the value of playing video games and how, yeah. um, you know, compared to practicing jujitsu, you might as well just be, you know, you're just wasting your time. And um, did you see that? Uh, no. And I, I've only seen the aftermath. So and because of that, I don't want to talk, you know, much about it. And like, I, I don't know, like maybe there's some context there that people are missing or something. Yeah. I don't know. It's yeah. just Joe Rogan. But yeah. Um, well, so like I don't know. It could, yeah, I can tell you don't want to talk about it. I'll try to put you out of your misery real quick. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, Joe Rogan used to play a lot of Quake Three back mm. in the day. He liked it so much, and he had enough money that he, back before broadband was really common, he bought a T1 line to his house, mm. and he played so much that he didn't get things done in his life, and he had to break himself off the habit. Uh, years later, Quake Champions comes out, which is uh, you know an homage and update to Quake Three. And he, now that he has a, a warehouse to do whatever he wants in, he builds a, a land center for him and his friends and they play Quake Champions and then he can't get his stuff done and he has to put it away, get rid of it. And so he's formed his opinion about video games based around that experience more or less. Right, and the idea right. that there are a handful of ninjas out there who are successful and everyone else is Joe Rogan who can't yeah. break a habit. Yeah, no, that's totally, like that sort of stuff is... Yeah, I, I just like, okay, I had this this very personal experience to me, but I can't possibly, you know, like 
I don't know, open my mind to like other possibilities that, that might take the place. So I'm gonna mm-hmm. I'm gonna just project that on on everybody because everybody is a is a lazy gamer. Um, it's really, I I think games in general certainly have a um have a uh, a risk, you know, of of being addictive. Um, it's like growing up, I, I played a lot of a lot of video games. Uh, growing up, I was a very poor student, um, mm-hmm. knowingly so. Like I I deliberately. I uh, skipped out on homework and and passed the tests just so that I can kind of skate by um, in, in high school. And it wasn't like a, it wasn't a mystery <laughs> to me, but I, I just really wanted to play video games. So I, uh, so I think it's, you know, it's about decision making. It's, uh, you know, parenting uh, environment and, you know, to like, to that extent, yeah, it can be a really good thing. You know, if you have a really, uh, you know, crappy upbringing, like video games are an escape, you know, if you, uh, just like you know have social anxiety like video games are a way to connect with people like there's a lot of a lot of stuff that's that's out there that is totally not outside the realms of of possibility for anybody who's like remotely even trying to to put in the thought mm-hmm. but uh i i honestly don't know much uh about uh joe rogan outside of uh his podcast nowadays and i i certainly don't listen to it um so like this this could just be a, like a, a normal thing for him. Mm-hmm. I, I guess I wouldn't know. I just think it's an interesting uh, interesting dynamic because um, I, I think that video games are like the will be the predominant art form everywhere. Yeah. The more no, and more so. Be, actually, you you mentioned this on uh, Sirius's podcast uh-huh. or like Sirius's podcast when you when you had him on. Like um, I, I think uh, yeah. like you know, choosing between a, a hockey game or like you know whatever else is on Twitch. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it'll just be a, another form of entertainment. And I, I think that if anything, it's it's more like it's certainly more interactive. So like there's benefits there uh, than just like, you know, compared to watching a movie from right. a TV. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, you know, drilling from episode to episode. So yeah, it, it's like, um, I don't know. I, you know, have my own growing up story too, right? Uh, and my parents definitely didn't understand my interest in games. I didn't understand it. Um, mm. But, you know, we're exploring it. And actually, um, what ended up happening um, for me uh, at the start of this year was I got tired of not getting out of games what I put into them. And I said, well, how can I fix that problem? Oh, why don't I make a podcast? Hmm. And it's injected every single moment I play a video game with a ton of meaning now because it all feeds back into something that, that I'm creating, into connections that are being made, into conversations that, to my mind, might not happen if I wasn't doing what I was doing. Um, so I also have a lot of friends, people I play with, who just play games to blow off steam at the end of the day. Yeah. The same way you might pop on an episode of The Office or something. And I respect that too. For sure, games have a, a unique ability to draw people in and distract them from things that might benefit them more to focus on in their own life. Um, but blaming a video game is kind of like, it's like blaming the gun. Right. Yeah. And... Um, you know, there are certain things we can, we can work on, um, like how much RNG do we want? How much do we want to, how do we want to interact with people's wallets? Um, what do we want, what do we want, um, our target audience to be demographic wise? And if they're young, how do we want to, how do we want to accept that, that the trust that that parent is putting in right. this experience? Yeah, lots of, uh, moral or ethical uh, decisions. Right. Uh, go into games. Um, but I think no matter what happens, we are at the games will never be a smaller deal than they are today. Yep. 
and uh, the Joe Rogans of the world, um, I don't, it would credit them to learn to learn a little bit about it. Um, and I'm not necessarily pinning him down, but he's he's kind of the flashpoint for what I think is a very interesting discussion. Um, I think even more, perhaps more interesting, um, and this goes into really fantasy land, is talking about how uh, the means that we interact with our with our devices controls the games that can get made. Like we're just at the start of VR technology, mm-hmm. and you know people were trying to make trying to take games that already existed and make them work in VR, and we're just starting to see games that can only really exist in VR. Look at a game like Half Life Alex, yeah, where Valve is just like, we don't really want to make this outside of VR. It doesn't really make sense. Why would you want to play it that way? And um, they're just the same way that when Quake came out and people figure out you can mouse look, um, it's like, well, why you can't have this game uh, in some other controller format? Like I know there's, there's tension with con- using physical controllers versus a mouse and keyboard, but maybe not as strong of an example, but. Um, I don't know. I just, uh, I'm convinced that gaming is important and it will be for a long time. Yeah. What do you think? Well said. No, I think, <laughs> yeah, I think I nailed it. Okay. Speaking of nailing it, um, let's put a, let's put a bow on this thing. Um, Rel, uh, you have been down a path of being a, you were in the Navy, you made YouTube videos for a game you were passionate about. You picked up and moved your life across the country to work on to work on that game, and here you are now as the lead game designer of RPG. Would you recommend others following a, a similar path? <laughs> that one, no, no, totally not. Um, but uh, I, I will say that um, if if you have an interest in in game design, it's uh, it's less about I, I guess less about what you I don't know know or think you know, and more about like what you're doing. So especially when we're like screening candidates and that sort of thing, we look at like the projects that they've been able to make and, uh, and, and like how they can, they, they work with the team and, you know, what sorts of things that they've, they've done with their life kind of up until this point. And um, all of like what you do every day, I guess, uh, should be kind of a march towards something that you're passionate about. Mm-hmm. And uh, to that end, I think that, um, you know, if you're really, Want to get into uh, to game design? Start uh, you know learning and and making stuff. Uh, I uh, my route was uh, was very atypical, and you definitely can't expect that to happen to uh, to everybody. But um, but there's definitely hope. Like like you said, like uh, gaming is not going to become less less important or mm-hmm. less popular. Uh, so yeah, I think the uh, the future will kind of be written by the people who decide to uh, to make it. So well said. I, Get on it, yeah. Yeah. Well, I can't end on a better note than that. Thanks, Rel. This has been fantastic and a long-time dream of mine to sit down and chat with you about this stuff. Hey. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for having me. It was fun. Could you give us a Rel-style sign-off? Absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Sorry, guys. Uh, well, um, this has been a hoot. Uh, for those of y'all who are here with us live, um, yeah, you know where we are, and... Um, I am talking to people all around gaming about topics just like these. If you like this kind of discussion, I'll be back. Uh, name of the podcast is Basement Side Chats. We have a Discord community where we play games every day, including Deep Rock Galactic and Planet Side. So feel free to drop by. And uh, yeah, big game to all. Thanks, Rel. You rock. Yeah. Uh...